Welcome once again to another special episode of Superhero Stuff You Should Know. This is once again Ben, the man who knows too much about Batman. And with me, as usual, is my co-host. Andrew, the learner. I learn about Batman from the tutelage from Benetavius. <laughs> and uh, to assist with the tutelage, actually, we have a, a special guest, uh, Rob, a.k.a. Bobby80s on Instagram. How's it going? Good, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Thanks for, for coming on. on. Yep. So we have something that is very interesting for this week. Basically, we're recording this the day before September 5th, which is the 30th anniversary of Batman the Animated Series, the premiere of that. That was September 5th, 1992, where they premiered on Leather Wings. Uh, and also the week that this gets released, it will be Batman Day on that Saturday, September 17th. Nice. It always changes from year to year, so I always got to look it up, but it's usually September. So this is kind of our batman the animated series mixed with batman day type of special but rob has kind of a special exclusive treat for us today on an unmade 80s batman series it's kind of batman the animated series before there was batman the animated series so that is our topic for today which is the secret files of the batman as it was called or going to be called so before we go into that Let's go into you for a little bit, uh, Rob. So share with us a little bit about your, you obviously have a lot of love for the 80s, given your name, but uh, share with us about your Batman fandom specifically. Yeah, I mean, growing up as a kid, I was always watching uh, Fox Kids Network, and um, you can't watch that without watching the Batman, the Handmade series, and X-Men, and all those. So, I mean, that really was the era for me uh, to watch uh, animated superhero uh, shows. But... Um, and then Kenner, you know, had the rights to a lot of those uh, toys, and so I had a lot of those toys. And, you know, it's Batman the Animated Series. I mean, the the story and, and the acting, the voice acting is just phenomenal. It has stood the test of time. I watch it today, and I, I can still be engaged and, you know, not get bored. You know, there's, like, some shows that just don't hold up, you know, as you become an adult. Sure. Yeah, of course. It, and also, it's, it's kind of cool Perkins. to go back sometimes and, and be like, hey, like, this is the original comic and compare just how true they stuck to certain things. You know, just the first Ra's al Ghul is just literally ripped from the page because it's Denny O'Neill himself writing it. It's amazing in terms of just the one-to-one -one translation sometimes. So we, what we're looking at here is a pitch Bible and an outline for an episode of the secret files of the Batman from Alan Burnett. So, ah, there it is. So, Kind of go into how did you acquire these? So in my, you know, I just I hunt all over online and I make a lot of network connections. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I get lucky. Sometimes you know people you know know me as a straight shooter, and you know um, there's no BS. I just you know a price picture payment. You know, just done deal. Sure. Um, and so sometimes I get a lot of people come to me and they give me like first dibs before they go off and post it somewhere into the wild. They'll sometimes they'll be like, oh, Bobby will buy it, you know, no problem. Or at least he might even know someone who will buy it so that there's a lot less, you know, haggling and just direct, you know, deals. But um, I'm trying to think. I think this was actually someone gave me a heads up. I like it that a lot of times. So someone will give me a heads up with a link. Say, hey, hey Rob, did you see this? And they'll send me an eBay link, you know. And um, this was an eBay thing. And uh, the cool thing about this uh, item or items is that it has the outline for the pilot episode called The Fear, and which we know, which was part of the Superpowers Team Galactic Guardians. 
mm-hmm. theories. And it's kind of like, you know, like with a lot of TV shows where they like try to have like a spin-off episode where Yeah, the backdoor pilot. A backdoor pilot, thank you. And it will it's an, an opportunity for it to branch off into its own series. And in this case, it didn't happen for whatever reason. Um, and, and actually, the cool thing that this uh, auction came with, it came actually with an actual business card from a Jeff Siegel, who is a writer mm. and story editor for Hanna-Barbera. Oh. See that. that name's familiar see. for some reason. Yeah. I can't really see it. It's kind of glare. Hold on. Okay. There see we go. See a little better. Ah, Siegel, <laughs> S-E-G-A-L. Are we okay putting up all that info, man? <laughs> That's a phone number right there. Uh, honestly, I, I highly doubt it's still in use. Or you might get it's like some kind of laundromat today, you know? Oh, okay. <laughs> That's a possibility. <laughs> it's <laughs> some legal I'm gonna, service I'm going to test, that, test that number when we're done with this. <laughs> but, but, yeah. You guys so know, like if you the, want to pitch anything yeah. to Hanna-Barbera, now's the time. <laughs> yes. I got a new Top Cat, uh, Top Cat game. <laughs> Uh, idea <laughs> <laughs> but you know like the cool thing that comes with this thing is that it came with also the series bible essentially for mm-hmm. what would be called the secret files of the batman and as we know from watching the fear episode it it has a lot of similarities or what was going to be or what eventually became the more darker tone which was batman the animated series in the early mm-hmm. 90s um, one cool thing that I would like to connect with all this is kind of like six degrees of Kevin Bacon kind of moment here. Um, I'm a big, obviously big Ghostbusters guy mm-hmm. and same situation where someone knows me as Ghostbusters guy and calls me up and say, Hey Rob, I just came from a, a purchase and I'm going to, once I get home, I'll send you some photos and you'll get first dibs. And it was a ton of miscellaneous Deke entertainment um press kits uh there was a film canister uh from deke and it was a blind buy for me but it turned out to be the real ghostbusters pilot master reel wow which is a lost media because the only one that that still existed up to that point was the director um of the pilot kevin altieri who works worked Uh on Batman, you see where where I'm going with this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I reached out to Kevin. He verified that this thing was the master reel from Japan. Didn't even have audio on it yet. This was the film, you know, the 16 millimeter film. And I restored it and I used his VHS copy, which he stole (laughs) a copy from (laughs) uh, Deke. And and when he did the uh, Time Life box set in 2008 for the real Ghostbusters complete set on DVD, they did a commentary and a special edition or a special features disc. And that's the la- the first time that you and, e, you and me would have uh, watched the pilot concept. It was like, it's a four-minute pitch pilot. Okay? Oh, okay. So it's a crappy, you know, VHS quality thing. And that's the only reason we have audio for my restoration is because he had okay. a copy of it on VHS. Because Sony did, does not have a copy of it at all. So, Crazy. Um, it is. It's, it's, it's a whole nother, it's a, it's a whole nother podcast on its own. Trust me. Um, <laughs> but to come full circle here, I asked him when I came across this stuff mm-hmm. and once I realized the connection to the similarities to the 1992 series, I asked him about an Alan Burnett and I'm like, Kevin, um, 
you know, this whole thing is uh, the tone and the feel of it is very much like what, you know, the Warner Brothers uh, animated series. And I'm like, is it possible this could be, you know, what could have been and then what eventually became? And he mm. said, and when I said it was Alan Burnett, he said, absolutely. Yeah. Mm. So whatever was like, could have been in the late 80s did eventually become in the early 90s. And so it's really cool to see when you go through all this stuff, you know, just seem like the evolution, you know what I mean? For sure. So I can the see birth it too. Of it. So it's really cool to get the kind of, co- you know, the collaboration and, um, and the cl- clarification, I think is the word I'm looking for, that um, you can corroborate that this is, that's what it, this is. So it's really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, we've, we go through a lot of these unproduced scripts and like there's this big 10 year journey just to get this dark and serious Batman on the screen in 89. And there's a lot of different scripts leading up to it, but you can see some of the DNA throughout a lot of theirs where where it's just like, oh, in this script, Joker hires Joe Chill to kill Batman's parents. (laughs) So like that's still, that's always been there in some sort of way, weirdly enough, Uh, just little, little things. And when it's, Alan Burnett, the in reading through this when you send it to me, I was like, oh, that carries over. That carries over. That didn't quite carry over, but I can see why it didn't because that's very 80s. Like di- different things that uh, I can see is like it's the DNA of Batman the animated series, arguably kind of started with this, it seems. Yeah, absolutely. And the cool thing about um Hanna Barbera and um and and War Brothers in general is that they kept the film. Of their original content mm. so that's why we were able to get batman the animated series on blu-ray just this past yeah. couple years oh right and it looks phenomenal i don't know if you guys have seen it it looks phenomenal the quality of the blu-ray is amazing yeah so and so deke did not do that deke had a had a thing where they were moving their 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 storage facility like <laughs> kevin this is what kevin told me uh because people are always coming to me saying, hey, Rob, when can we get Ghostbusters on, Blu- you know, real Ghostbusters on Blu-ray? And I'm like, it's not going to happen, guys. Yeah. It's because Deke did not save the master reels. They had the broadcast uh, tapes, and then that was it. That's so, so annoying. It really is. It's a shame. But, mm-hmm. you know, but, it, but you come to, when with Warner Brothers and Batman and Mary series, at least, you know, they saved it. And we can appreciate it for its full, you know, glory. So. They knew what they were saving. You know, we were we had Michael use the non and he was telling us about how like he he knew a lot of these old school comic guys. And he was like, how come the originals of these, you know, comic book pages don't exist? And they're just like, oh, uh, yeah, we kind of just I mean, they didn't use it for toilet paper, but it sounded like they used it for anything but toilet paper <laughs> from, from the yeah. way that they told him. So just like uh, they just they just didn't know what they had to them. It was just like, yeah, there's just some bullshit that we do you yeah. know, for right now. But they didn't realize how of an impact it was in pop culture so that's an excellent point you bring up about how it seems like they knew exactly how much like they they knew what they were doing in terms of preserving this and that there was an audience for this no absolutely i mean a lot of a lot of like like you said a lot of companies and uh broadcast uh, studios did not you know have the foresight to think further ahead Mm -hmm. you know they figured uh you know at the time the tube tvs you know those old box bulky tvs was the best quality they had and they figured this you know this is as good as it's going to get um mm-hmm. the problem with deke was that they didn't ha- they didn't want to feel like it was worth paying the storage payments for all right. this film Jesus. you know yeah right. that's the reason and, mm-hmm. and 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 in some cases you can make the case because 
film is very flammable. And as we learned in the early 90s, Universal Studios oh, had a, a huge fire where yeah. the original um, Back to the Future future set was all burned down because they oh, kept yeah. the film like in the back lot. Mm. And in L.A., that, that Universal Studios version, um, they were going to keep the, the future-esque you know, you know, sets for the guests. But then, you know, the studio burned down and they had a lot of damage and then they basically started rehashing it for all the other, other things. So you can make the argument, you know, understanding why Deke didn't keep the film, but it's it's nice that Warner Brothers had the foresight to, just like Disney, you know, they don't let anything go, you know? Oh, yeah. But, you know, that's locked, it's the vault. It's locked mm-hmm. away somewhere. But Deke, they had um, actual people that would come visit the studio. And depending on who you were, um, they would let you keep cells, you know, from the production, which is a nice little thing. But mm-hmm. it just shows you how they were treating it. You know, it like, oh, yeah, here, just go. Take it. Yeah, take it. Take it. And then <laughs> I had to talk with some of the people that worked on the um, behind the scenes, you know, painting the cells for, you know, marketing purposes. And, um, yeah, stuff people – People took it home. People threw it away. You know, it's a shame that, you know, what got thrown away in a lot of these, uh, you know, studios. Mm-hmm. And but, you know, it is what it is. It, to a lot of people, it was a job. You know, it wasn't, you know, sure. like, oh, it, it was just nine to five, you know, getting yeah. get, clock in, clock out and then move on to the next gig. And that's how it was for a lot of people. You do it for your audience, but you don't necessarily realize the audience is like this is their childhood. <laughs> like this is their, something very precious to them. Exactly, exactly. Well, uh, let's take a look then at the secret files of the Batman. We have this really cool title page that they have, and it kind of already shows right off the top that there's an emphasis on the detective side of Batman at this point. Uh, What's also interesting is the date here is December 3rd, 1984. So we're talking uh, way before the 89 movie, even before Dark Knight Returns in 86. This is sort of an early version of trying to provide a dark and serious Batman, but before it actually sort of got more integrated into pop culture and outside of the comic book circles. And uh, as mentioned before, it's from Alan Burnett, who would, of course, yeah, he worked on Super Friends. He worked on Galactic Guardians, the Superpowers team, but most famously went on to Batman, the animated series that's celebrating its 30th anniversary this year. Superman, the animated series, Batman Beyond, Justice League Unlimited, uh, and outside of the DC animated universe, the Batman from 2004, the brave and the bold justice league action. Like he's a major, major part of DC animation and across all pretty much all iterations. It feels like of animated Batman. So the fact that he sort of had his own pitch for a Batman thing is just not at all surprising, even though it was a surprise to see basically this pitch Bible. When, uh, when you sent this over to me, uh, this page says, forget everything you've ever known about Batman. And again, hmm. it's a it's a callback to the dark and serious Batman. But, you know, at the time, the you know, there's this 1970s revamp of Batman as a dark and serious character. But that's that's if you're reading the Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams stuff. And if you're not a comic book reader to you, it's still it's still Adam West, which is now ironic since Adam West does become the Batman for an iteration of this show. But <laughs> Anyways, The Dark Knight Returns, Batman 89, hasn't really happened yet, but this is kind of like an early version of like, hey, why don't we do the comic book Batman of right now, especially of right now. There's a lot of the 80s comics in this, uh, as we're about to find out. 
Burnett describes his take on Bruce Wayne and Batman, and it's not really all that different from the one that we would end up seeing. I'm sure you saw that too when you were reading this, Rob. No, absolutely. And it's 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 a it's a good comparison that you mentioned about how unless you worked unless you read the comics of that of that time, as a kid, all you know is the bat you know the Adam West version you know on mm-hmm. reruns, or you're watching Super Friends, which is a very campy you know type show, you know you know not very you know mature by any means, and so mm-hmm. you know it's appropriate for a five year old, but um, other than that, you don't really understand you know that there's a darker version out there, and I think that's what a lot of um, studios were afraid of. They were afraid of either parents complaining or they were afraid that they were going to ruin the brand maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think once the A9 Batman came out and became such, you know, what it was, mm-hmm. um, I think that opened the door to studios to realize, okay, wait a minute, there is a market for this. So I think that's what happened is that this came out at a point where they just weren't ready for it. You know what I mean? Sure. Sure. Uh, I, I know both, Andrew and I felt when we watched this episode that I was just like, oh, this is I mean, it's Galactic Guardians, but it's a variation of Super Friends. And we we're just right. like, this is Super Friends. This is dark. Like this is <laughs> this is way better than what we were expecting. Uh, yeah, when we I've, first I've seen this. I'd seen a few episodes of Super Friends when I was a kid, probably a long time ago. I think it probably aired on Cartoon Network in the 90s here and there, maybe. Yeah. So I'd seen it maybe then. But this episode fear was like seemed like kind of a cut above the other ones uh, is are there any other episodes in super friends or galactic guardians that are anywhere near that level i couldn't tell you to be honest um now that you asked me i i, I bought this dv set just for that one episode because i was <laughs> <laughs> man after my own heart because it's, it's I mean, the only episode i've seen of that version i'm just like it's kind of embarrassing but i haven't really seen super friends outside of that one episode you haven't seen every batman thing ever been <laughs> not yet i'm still working on it how dare you man <laughs> especially when he's part of the super friends and basically in some many episodes interchangeable <laughs> with like everyone else I'm going to get another tutelage partner. Tutor. Batman tutor. Get yourself a super friends. Yeah. It was too much about super friends. Friggin'. Oh, by the way, HD transfer or whatever for that, I saw on HBO Max. I was surprised at how good that was, too. They oh, must yeah, have done great. a great scan like you were talking about because they had the original um, film strips or whatever. Yeah, I mean, the film is the only way to really get the clarity that, you know, you would expect from today's quality uh you know, computer screens and TV screens and to, to even come close to what, you know, CGI and everything else is coming up with today. So, I mean, it's just a shame that, you know, what the certain things that got lost back in the day. I mean, the BBC uh, back in the day in the 60s and 70s, they didn't save half their stuff. The film and tapes uh, cost so much. They would reuse the master tapes. They yeah, would yeah, tape, so much they would, missing Doctor Who. They, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. There's certain episodes that people somehow recorded, you know, back in the day, in like, <laughs> in, in like some like foreign country, and so that's the only copy of that episode that some of these fans have. But yeah, the tapes that they, they would just reuse them, you know, after the, a year or two or whatever, a month, you know, who knows? But um, mm-hmm. just because of the just just because them they thought they were saving money, but they didn't realize that yeah. you know down the road you're actually losing money. So because now you yeah, can't redistribute. Sure. Like one of the big lost radio episodes of Superman was the first team up of Superman and Batman. And that predates any team up of them in the comics at the time. 
imagine if they were just able to sell the recording of that now. You know, just oh. to any comic book fan or or comic historian and stuff. People would I'd be listening to that a bunch of times because I love Radio Superman, as we've established on the show. But like it's, it's <laughs> lost, unfortunately. Like we I just yeah. can't I've listened to other episodes, but I not that very first one. And that's the first one in history and Nobody can really experience it. The only episodes that are still around are the ones with Robin in it, but not the ones where it's specifically Batman and Superman interacting for the first time. It's a real shame. I mean, I, I, that makes me think of, um, I wonder if if scripts still exist of that. You know what I mean? Like the with the, the radio host oh, yeah. read, you know? Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. you can still at least have someone, you know, recreate it in some form or fashion, which still would be interesting to, to, to hear out. But um, oh, yeah, for sure. You know, but it, honestly, though, if it's it's one of those things where it's like because it's lost media, once it becomes uh, found again, you know, it mm-hmm. gives it it gives it a different level than a normal episode. You know, because sure. you, you can think of a normal episode as just part of the pile, you know, no big deal. But if it was lost media that was now found, I can I've experienced that with this uh, Ghostbusters pilot where, you know, I, I've restored that thing frame by frame. I had a guy locally that was, had the machine to to scan it and we're talking like 5,500 frames for like four minutes. <laughs> mm-hmm. I spent, wow. I spent, I spent four months uh, going in Photoshop and using the healing brush tool <laughs> and I'm, I'm blowing up and shrinking the brush uh, diameter so I can go in and finite, get rid of dust particles and hairlines. Oh God. <laughs> I'm not joking. I can't and imagine. I can't imagine. Yeah. That's nuts. And I um I spent a month in Premiere uh, color correcting. I couldn't just color correct the entire thing because what was good for one scene oh, was terrible yeah. for the next one. The white right. balancing was totally off. You're just going frame by frame at that point. At that point, I was able to nest the whole timeline mm. and then cut every camera angle, every camera cut. Uh, Are you an editor? Because nesting is a—that's a technical term, right there. <laughs> yes. Well, that comes down to the whole planets aligning okay. kind, of, kind of thing. Because I am a video editor by trade. Gotcha. Um, and so it comes down to someone had to call me and know me first. I had to be—you know—I had to network with them previously down the road, and then they had to come to me first instead of posting on eBay. You know. Mm. They didn't know what they had. I didn't know what, what they had. I'm an editor. I, I finally discover what it is when I have it in my hand. And I know what to do with it. I know how to preserve it and back it up. And for me, I wanted to tell Sony, look what I found, you know. Mm-hmm. But my fear was they were just going to shelve it, you know. Mm-hmm. They'd be like, oh, thanks. And then whatever. Oh, geez. Yeah. So I, what I did was I restored it first and then I told them. And then what happened mm. was, um, first they asked me, would I, would I donate the film to their archives? And I'm like, <laughs> you're a billion dollar Yes, I spent all company. these months on that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what happened was, uh, it was like a, it was like a, a nice, uh, you know, what's the word? Um, you meet halfway kind of word. Um, compromise. 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 Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> There's a compromise. So what happened was I gave them the high res rest- restoration with a contract signed by Sony and um, me that I get recognition wherever it's posted. Smart. So 
I still have the film, and I would love for them to have it, but not for <laughs> <laughs> not to just shelve it. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So thanks for adding to our vault, right? Right, and so and because you know the, the the time and money that would come into them restoring it, they probably you know they're they're trying to move forward. They're not looking back. They're like, mm-hmm. oh, this is nice, whatever. So at least I, there's my version out there, and it is on the 35th anniversary of Ghostbusters uh, Blu-ray set. So that nice. came out uh, two years ago. So it's on their special edition disc, and it says "Fan Restoration" by Robert Barbieri. And it's just really cool because now now I'm connected to the lore, if you know if that you know that in yeah, a, in no, a sense. that's cool. sure. for sure. So uh, let us know if you're uh, your Ghostbusters fans in the comments below and stuff, or check it out and get a copy for yourself to see uh, Rob's work absolutely. for our viewers out there. And to just a client, just to, I know we're talking off, off of Batman, but just to really just full, make it full circle, um, to make it really like worth it was both Kevin Altieri. And Ivan Reitman wrote wrote to me. Oh wow! Oh wow! The late Ivan Reitman. He sent me mm-hmm. a a letter that you know he typed he typed it and then he signed it with pen and then he has like the Ghost Corp uh, stamp on the bottom. Nice. Mm-hmm. And Kevin on his Facebook page, he gave me a shout out saying this looks better than when I first saw it back in '85. <laughs> oh, nice! Can't so, give you a higher compliment than that. No, I mean really, I mean it just. He's a really, really awesome dude, and he's always been there to answer my questions and about Batman or anything, because mm-hmm. um, he told me a lot of things about you know how Deke uh, Haim Saban, you know if you know Saban Studios yeah. for, for Power Rangers, yeah. he was part of the audio team, the music team at Deke. Yeah, like he, he had his own music studio. He did the Inspector Gadget theme song and so on for exactly. for Deke, right? Yeah, exactly. Or he hired the people at least, right? Yes, he was the guy that you that Deke went to, and then he would you know outsource it or whatever. But he was the, the the studio guy, and that's why we don't have you know any Deke you know soundtracks on CD or anything because you know again it's all gone. You know it's just he moved on to being a studio producer, you know Power Rangers sure. thing. And there's I asked a Ghost Corp uh, at Sony at um, my contact if if uh, you know fans would love to hear all this stuff. You know the clean scores you know mm-hmm. and nothing but i'm sure with batman oh, sucks. i'm sure with batman the animated series I, I, you tell me ben if um does warner brothers have the soundtrack oh yeah there? They, the, there are several volumes thanks to la la land records of not just um the score of the different episodes but you can also hear recording sessions with shirley walker talking to the orchestra and stuff <laughs> they've They've got that bad. They, they, as we said, like they knew what they were doing and preserving all of that because they knew that we would buy stuff, even if it's just like, you know, version number 10 of what the opening titles could have been, which is just like a slightly different version of what it was. There was nothing really dramatically different, but there's like a million different versions of the same thing uh, on those. And it's, it's funny. You can check them out on, on Spotify and stuff. Uh, they're, they're out there. They're available. But again, it just, it just goes to show how much they knew what they had, it seems. Deke no, was kind of like, you know, they had a lower budget, man. That's really what it's all about. <laughs> yeah, like they had exactly. they had iconic theme songs that were that Saban's pumping out, like the Inspector Gadget and all that. But mm-hmm. you know, they're, this they're just not Warner Brothers. They're not Disney. Yeah, sadly, that is a big factor too. Uh, no, those studios like Filmation and Deke, it was kind of like a one and done mentality. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, we're done. Sure. Moved on to the next show. Oh, we're done. We're on the next show, and then you know, it's a, it's a shame. Yeah. 
It is. Um, but it is cool looking at sort of what we have here with the secret files of the Batman, because uh, the characterization that we have of this is very close to what we would get in the Batman animated series. It looks like in terms of Bruce Wayne stuff, they really wanted to show the Wayne Foundation, uh, his film, you know, his philanthropic endeavors, because everyone who actually knows the character knows that's a big part of Bruce Wayne and how he uses his money to help Gotham. But anyways, uh, Burnett compares Bruce to Jay Gatsby from The Great Gatsby in this, which I always thought was cool because when I first read that book in high school, I was like, oh, this is kind of like Bruce Wayne when like Keaton was kind of pretending not to be Bruce Wayne in 89. So it's kind of cool just to see that uh, being validated with this. And it looks like Vicki Vale was going to be the girlfriend of this TV show. Again, a bit prophetic considering that this is before the 89 movie. This is before Vicki Vale's even in scripts for the 89 movie in this timeline. And she's obviously going to become a big part of pop culture once that movie hits, thanks to Kim Basinger. Uh, also says that Batman knows all the two-bit thugs and felons by name, which matches the Batman of the time. So those are pretty cool stuff. And I think one of the biggest surprises to me comes with Robin when I read this, because I'm just like, okay, cool, Robin's in this. And then I read it, and I'm like, oh, because Robin's not Dick Grayson. Robin's Jason Todd in this pitch. That was a shock to me. Uh, That's because they want to be darker, basically? Not necessarily. This is 1984, so this is not the Jason Todd who was caught taking the tires off the Batmobile yet. This is Jason Todd who's kind of uh, basically (laughs) kind of just dick grayson 2.0 in the beginning because he was also an acrobat and he was part of a circus and his parents were also killed thanks to killer croc in this instance but it was like it's it's the pre-crisis jason todd who was considered to be less controversial or problematic compared to the one who was like letting the diplomat's son fall to his death in one issue or something like it's it's very just It was just so they could have a Robin and a Nightwing, basically. Pretty much. Yeah, they're just like, yeah, give them some sort of give them somebody who's like Dick, you know? So, yeah, uh, that's this is the Jason Todd that they brought in. The one from, you know, the one who would end up getting killed by Joker that comes after all this. This comes after Crisis. That comes when they do the revamp and the whole like, oh, I found him in Crime Alley trying to steal the, the tires off the Batmobile. Like that stuff comes that stuff comes after. So but it's still interesting to to read this. And I think it's. If I were to guess, it's probably because Burnett just wanted to be like, Robin's now Jason Todd. Jason Todd's Robin in this. I think that's all it was. I don't think he was trying to do something. Uh, like, I don't think he preferred one over the other. And it's also ironic considering that Jason Todd doesn't make it into the Batman animated series. Uh, at least We don't want to say episodes. dick on t- kids TV as well. So <laughs> that's really what it's all about. They uh, too late in terms of all the other animated versions. <laughs> after that. <laughs> too late. Whoops. When but, was the uh, first time Robin wore pants, by the way, <laughs> in the comics? When did they finally Drake. decide? I'm pretty Tim sure Drake, Drake was the first Robin with pants. I think it was Neil Adams who was just like, I, I think you guys need to update this. I'm so you tired know, of drawing this fucking teenager in fucking shorts. Green Speedo. Green Speedo. <laughs> His pixie boots. I'm feeling weird about it. <laughs> So it says that Jason would be navigating this with his life in middle school and high school because he's like 14 at the beginning of this. And a lot of this is from Robin's point of view. And I think one of the reasons why is partially due to like, you know, there's audience identification here in terms of like, that's the whole reason why Robin and these kids sidekicks were invented so that like kids would have somebody to to relate to uh, while also kind of giving in Batman's case, he was created to give him sort of a Dr. Watson figure to his Sherlock Holmes. And they definitely wanted to continue that, 
that DNA from Bill Finger into the show where they talk about like, not only is Batman solving mysteries, but Burnett specifically says that you as an audience member, as a kid on Saturday morning, are encouraged to solve the mystery and put together the puzzle pieces along with the Dark Knight himself. And that's pretty cool, I think, especially for the 80s. And some of that kind of carries into Batman the Animated Series, but that's not the primary thing. Like, not every episode was a mystery, but it seemed like that was kind of what they wanted to do in some ways uh, in this version. Even in, like, the Fear episode, the mystery is kind of like, why is Batman so scared of this alley? Because it's clearly not Scarecrow using the transmitter thing on him. He doesn't use it on him when he gets scared in the alley. Like, why is it? And so the the answer to the mystery was his actual origin story. The fact that it was Crime Alley and that type of stuff. So that was really cool. And him being the man without fear, that was a big deal at the time. In the that comics. was kind of interesting, isn't it? Because that's, I, I don't think it's, I don't think that's from the comics. I'm not really sure. Because when he says that, obviously you think Daredevil. Yeah, like, like, wait a minute. Uh, so I, I think that's just the way it was written at the time, where he says, "I'm the man, the man with no fear," as opposed to the man yeah, without yeah. fear. But it's the yeah, same, yeah. It's the same type of vein. And I, I always thought that was kind of funny, especially because years later we would get Ben Affleck playing both Daredevil and Batman. That's true. But, we all forget about his Daredevil. <laughs> <laughs> we just try to forget. Batfleck. Yeah. Before everyone was trying to get Batfleck into a Batfleck movie. Yes. <laughs> People yes. hated him because of Daredevil, even oh, though it wasn't really man. his fault either. But talk about somebody <laughs> taking a turn, like a people doing a 180. Oh yeah, for sure. For Affleck. Yeah. Uh you can also see a clear sign of them being like, hey, we're trying to go away from the 60s show because like the first time that Burnett lists the villains, he deliberately seems to list the villains who weren't in the 66 show. So mm. the first ones he lists are Poison Ivy, Two-Face, Ra's al Ghul, and Talia. Like, those are the, the first three he lists before he goes into, like, the classics of, like, Joker, Penguin, a supposedly reformed Catwoman, Riddler, Mad Hatter, Mr. Freeze. Uh, those are in the 60s show, but, of course, they want to do their own version of it. And it also talks about how Batman is going to be kind of like this is very O'Neill and Adams, where it's like he will venture outside of Gotham in the Batjet, probably to fight, you know, Ra's al Ghul and stuff, because that's most of the time they're fighting outside of Gotham. It feels like in those early comics, but that could have been really cool, as we see here. Uh, and then we have sort of a continuing rotating cast. Obviously, there's Batman, there's Robin. You got to have Gordon and Alfred, but we've also got Lucius Fox uh, among this uh, among these characters, and this again is is pre-Nolan. This is pre-Morgan Freeman. Uh, so this is a different Lucius than the one that we know from the movies who's like opening up the, the cover and, and giving the bat suit over to Christian Bale. Like this is this is the early version of it. He also spells it. I'm sure you noticed this too, Rob. Like he spells Lucius with an O. L-U-C-I-O-U-S. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, like Luscious. Almost... <laughs> it's Luscious. Luscious Fox. <laughs> That sounds like a luscious box of sex appeal, like trending on Spotify, kind of like you know, musical artist. Hey, they didn't they didn't have autocorrect on those typewriters back in the That's day. That's true. You know? <laughs> yeah, he's probably going off of memory of the comic and forgot to like double check at that part. Yeah, it's true. So uh, this is a Lucius or Luscious who doesn't know that Bruce is Batman. Uh, or he was Luscious in his, uh, in his younger days. <laughs> He's closer to the one in the comics as as well as the one in the animated series where he's the one who helps Wayne Enterprises during the day 
while Bruce is like going off and, you know, doing Batman shit. So it's it's kind of I, this is one where I'm just like, I'm betting Lucius made it into Batman, the animated series, partially due to Alan Burnett because he wanted him in there in this one. Again, the DNA just crossing over for this. So I think that's pretty cool. Another big character, an even bigger character in the animated series than Lucius Fox is Bullock. So Bullock mm. is listed here. He's the guy sort of helping Gordon out being, you know, kind of anti-Batman, but sort of begrudgingly helps him out. Again, totally like Batman, the animated series. And then the last character is intriguing uh, in Olivia Ortega. Now, who the fuck is Olivia Ortega? So she's a character from the 80s comics from 81 to 83, I found. Uh, when I first read this, I thought Burnett made her up. I don't know how you felt, Rob, or if you already knew her from the comics. No, but. no. That you, I'm learning as I go right now because I didn't know she was part of the comics, but I thought she, she was made up. Yeah, I thought I'm like, this is interesting and also kind of felt a little bit ahead of its time. If he was doing an original character who's also sounds like a Latina uh, TV journalist, but uh, she is in Detective Comics number 504 through Batman number 357. And she's kind of there as a uh, somebody who is a crusader against corruption and is specifically going after Councilman Arthur Reeves, who was a, a mayor, mayoral candidate at the time. And of course, Reeves, a version of Arthur Reeves, made it into Mask of the Phantasm. So this this 80s run is very influential on uh, Burnett as well as Mask of the Phantasm or Batman the Animated Series. But uh, she's a TV journalist as opposed to Vicky, who's more of a like print journalist with, you know, she's a photographer and stuff for print journalism. Though you would see versions of Vicky become a uh, become a TV journalist in Arkham City and the Batman Year One animated adaptation and a bunch of others. But it seems like the main difference between Olivia and Vicky is that Olivia is more bent on discovering Batman's identity through this. So she's kind of an sort of a pseudo antagonist. It feels like kind of a rival to Vicky. Um, so I think this was really interesting when I got to this part, because I'm like, Oh, that's not only is that a deep cut, but that's also uh, an interesting dynamic to play around with. You don't often see, especially in this type of, like very, this is very much about Batman and his world, but also on the side, we got this rivalry between these two female journalists going on, still bent around Batman and, and reporting the news about the city and stuff. So I'm curious where they would have gone with this character, probably even further than the, what was in the comics, I'm sure. So, uh, and at the end of this pitch Bible, naturally there are some like, hey, here's what we're going to do with some of the episodes. So one of them, uh, this one very much sounds reminiscent of James Bond, but there's a spacecraft that's going around with giant jaws devouring different satellites around. And I just immediately thought, uh, you only live twice, the James Bond movie, because that's what Blofeld had, uh, <laughs> eating up all the different satellites and stuff. And it's no surprise then that the man behind all this is Ra's al Ghul, the James Bond villain of the Batman universe himself. <laughs> and um, the name of this episode is the 50 Mile Free Fall, because what happens is Batman... Uh, goes up in space. NASA puts him on a shuttle. This would have been great toys for a toy line in the. 80s. That is true. This looks great. Right but here. this part is the part that shocked me because I'm just like, all right, Batman goes in space, tries to fight, fight Roz. So in here it says Roz on Ghoul's device arrives, cuts Batman's line, and Batman is left with 20 minutes of oxygen, reminiscent of the Sandra Bullock movie. Oxygen was what I was thinking when I was reading this, and Batman has to use his ingenuity to launch himself and the satellite down to Earth to free fall, hence the title, the 50-mile free fall. 
and use helium bat balloons to slow his descent. Where does he get uh, those? In this utility belt, I think. Yes. <laughs> So, so he, what does he jump from the moon to the earth? No, that's, I don't think that's, he makes it to the moon. No, that's okay, totally okay. that's totally Adam West era type stuff. Yeah, <laughs> with, with, with the, the shark bat spray or something. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of awesome. Like, or the bat ladder. You know, that's all I could think of. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So it is kind of interesting because it's really cool, but also feels like it's not quite what he's pitching. Burnett. Right. And there's a criticism of this because when I'm just like you're pitching this like very detective mystery driven thing, and instead we got Batman using his helium balloons and his utility belt to slow free fall. It's it's more like James Bond actioning than like modern Sherlock Holmes for kids type of thing. But it's still awesome because those are still elements of the character in a way. It's just not quite the what I was expecting when I got to this part. Uh the next one that's pitched is a little bit closer. It's called A Case of Poison Ivy, which seems to have taken both the title and the story from Batman 367, which, as we can see on the cover, says A Slight Case of Poison Ivy. That's an awesome cover, man. But yeah, no, this is a great this is a great one. Uh, basically, there are crimes being committed because Poison Ivy is using these humanoid plant creatures that she calls the Green Ghosts, which is awesome. Which that's is a cool. great name. Uh, this is one of the best poison ivy stories I take it. Uh it's one of the creepier ones for sure. This is what okay. they this is what poison ivy should have done instead of have Bane in the Batman and Robin movie. Like it just makes oh, way yeah. more sense. And <laughs> then jump her. out in a freaking well, uh, ape costume or whatever that was. <laughs> yes. Well that do that duel duo never made sense to me in that fourth right. movie. It, mm-hmm. That combo. It's like why are they teaming together that? Uh, yeah. Not much made sense in that movie anyway. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> right. <laughs> These dudes look fucking awesome. I mean, yeah, these like goons or whatever. Yeah, they are uh, like these yeah. humanoid plant men. Yeah, the name of this issue was the Green Ghost of Gotham, but it says a slight case of poison ivy on the cover. Damn. Uh, but yeah, I think this this episode is inspired by this, where these the Green Ghosts again love that name uh, are yeah. going around attacking different places in, in Gotham, and essentially Ivy wants to like use them to kidnap various heads of state who are at this presidential yacht and like hold them for ransom and stuff. And that's pretty much the main pitch that's there. And then, well, that's got kind of the end of the document. It sort of, sort of uh, basically cuts things off from there. So do you happen to know, Rob, in terms of like, is this the actual end of the document? Is it incomplete? Yeah, I think it is. I mean, and this thing is pretty well produced you know it's sure it's got the it's got the whole binder-esque you know thing to it and it's actually on very nice quality paper you know to be honest Mm -hmm. um but a lot of this stuff you know it's it's an idea it's a concept sure yeah and so they would hand these off to those internally different departments and see what sticks essentially Mm -hmm. so you're not going to send someone an entire stack you sure. Know? Yeah. Yeah. Because who's going to read it? Mm-hmm. You know. Again, it's again, it's it's like I, uh, how many how many of these things are sitting on someone's desk that they need to go through? So mm-hmm. this is like a, a a sample, a tasting. You know. Mm-hmm. And if this had gotten greenlit or you know gone further, then I'm sure we would have seen packets that are a little more in depth and a little sure. more a few more stories. So yes, I do believe that this is it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it is, 
he's putting the ideas on there, but it doesn't go as far as the like if I'm sure you've seen, but the the Batman the animated series Bible or a version of that is online, and that thing is a monster because it also includes like the different character designs in there mixed mm -hmm. in, and that's something that like I'm sure was like updated as they went along too, of just like oh what if we do this or that or or like this is what it should be, so like the, those things just got more and more expanded. Whereas this one, if it's just if it's literally just Ad Alan Burnett being like I got an idea for a Batman show. This is probably as much as he has time to write up while also working on his other stuff. Exactly. So I think it just makes I actually, sense. Exactly. And I actually have a lot of the style guides that you're referring to. Um, mm. that they would that um the binders are actually really well made. It's actually surprising they actually put that much money into you know that kind of stuff. The binder. So it's, <laughs> the, it's like literally the binder. I'll, I'll show you. Once we get back from our break, I'll, I can go grab some stuff. But, um, sure. But um, yeah, I mean, like you said, it has a bunch of stuff inside where it's like you know this is how things need to look from every angle this is the dimensions of each character how they mm -hmm. look stand next to each other and so it's really cool just to, just to, just to you know flip through and it's really really cool good stuff and um i got one for superman the animated series which is then which goes into a whole nother thing where i kind of like how like the dc cartoon universe is kind of like from the 90s it's kind of like how the mcu uh, film universe is today yeah. where we had the Batman animated series, which then combined with the Superman series, which was also a soul, you know, on its own series, which then created the Justice League series. And then we also had the Batman Beyond series, and mm. it's all in the same universe. So um, it's really cool to, you know, be able to follow it throughout the 90s and early 2000s. Yeah, for sure. I think it really set the stage for all of that. It's a shame we can't quite have that in live action, but that's a whole other podcast. So. <laughs> that's a whole other podcast, absolutely. It's a shame that we can't get that with live action for sure. But you know what? Yeah. Honestly, though, I think animation is where a lot of things need to stay. I mean, there's certain things just that doesn't translate into live action, if you know what I mean. Otherwise, we get things like the CW. <laughs> sure. <laughs> So uh, yeah. we also have an outline for the pilot that turned into a real episode of uh, Superpowers, you know, Galactic Guardians, the Superpowers team. And we'll be covering that after the break. Just wanted to announce that I have a new podcast called Gaming Gaiden. It's about retro gaming. It's a lot about Japanese to English translation in this first season. It will be 10 episodes each season. First season will be dropping soon, much sooner than Amono Recon. The co-host for this one will be Mike Torres. If you saw the ranking, every Superman video game two-parter we did here on Superhero Stuff You Should Know, you have seen Mike before. So yes, if you like video games, if you've been interested in Japanese ever, we're going to be talking a lot about just Japan in general, Japanese cultural differences as well, and we also are going to have a lot of talk about 90s video game magazines such as Electronic Gaming Monthly, aka EGM, so stay tuned for that. So please be on the lookout for Gaming Gaiden Podcast coming soon. Hi, it's me, Jeremy Parrish, co-host of the Retronauts Podcast, the only video game history podcast that's been around so long, it's also a part of video game history. Every week, one of the motley rabble who hosts this show leads a deep dive into the past, whether it's to break down a classic franchise, learn more about a timeless game from its creator, or just wallow in nostalgia. 
Relive History with Retronauts, here on the HyperX Podcast Network. The award-winning Go Nintendo podcast is the best place to get the latest news on the world of Nintendo. We cover the biggest stories, share impressions of the latest games, and answer your burning questions. There's also some general pop culture talk, game music trivia, a heaping helping of silliness, and did I mention our robot companion? I'm the star of the show. Catch new episodes of the Go Nintendo podcast every Saturday on the HyperX Podcast Network. What's that? Majestically cresting the horizon as it makes its way into port. Why, it's the brand new HyperX Armada monitors, mounts, and arms. Both the HyperX Armada 25 and 27 gaming monitors come bundled with the sturdy HyperX Armada mount and arm. If you need every split second of advantage when gaming, the Full HD Armada 25 and its 240Hz refresh rate are for you. If you like to soak in the graphical majesty of your gaming, you'll be eyeing the Quad HD Armada 27 with an 165Hz refresh rate. Set sale for HyperX.com or Amazon.com to start making your display Armada. Hello fans, as part of the HyperX Podcast Network, we're letting you know that this year is HyperX's 20th birthday. To celebrate, they're offering some great deals on their award-winning gaming gear. If you're in the market for a new headset, a new microphone, blue light blocking eyewear, or any number of other high-quality HyperX products, head on over to HyperX20.com to check out all the birthday deals. Once again, Check out the HyperX 20th birthday sale over at HyperX.com. And we're back, and we're going to dive into the fear. But first, Rob is going to show us some of uh, the stuff that's part of his collection. So go ahead and let's take a look at what we've got. Well, where I begin, I mean, like we were talking about Batman the Animated Series. So I might as well start with... Oh, nice. So for the listeners, we're looking at... Well, actually, a laser disc? <laughs> no, this is like the marketing uh, pop-out folder. Like, oh, oh, cool! Wow, so it's like a okay, yeah. So we're looking at a book that's like almost a pop-out pop-up book of Gotham City from Batman then, the Animated Series is what he's showing us. And then in the middle, it's actually you know Whoa. Batman pops oh. out. <laughs> it's a tall Batman is coming incredibly out. Incredibly rare, right? Yeah, this was like like sent internally to individual departments or like, you know, broadcast studios or like um, inside the back pages, like the back is like uh, all these little uh, character bios. It looks oh, exactly sweet. like Laserdisc size. But it's a book. Yeah. So, it's which a book, is really cool because yeah. it, it gives you a lot to work with. Jeez. Okay. Yeah. We're looking at these bios of Robin, Alfred. Jeez. This is great. I mean, it's really cool stuff. And then they go into the villains and then the other characters, Ooh, the mayor. Summer Gleason, even. Yeah. Right? Mayor Hill. Summer Gleason's is... kind of like that uh, Olivia. The, 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 kind of, the... Yeah, I was thinking that too. Actually, I'm just like, is this the precursor to Summer Gleason? Potentially, since they're both, you know, TV journalists. We've got Montoya as well. Cool. Dent before Two Face. Yeah. Joker, Penguin. And it just goes back and forth through all those guys. Yeah. And then, and then it goes through like. That's you know, awesome. Like, Back sheets and animation team, and just the, you know, the backstory behind all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But then you got the same artwork, like I was telling you guys before, with the binders, the style guide. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. It's got that classic look of the Batman, the silhouette with the cape that's pulled up. Yeah. And this was sent out to also all the studios so that they know, like, also, like, even the people that made the merchandise, 
because mm-hmm. they can be like, okay, this artwork is approved. Mm-hmm. Right. You can then, and then what would happen is all these uh, distributors or vendors, they would come up with their own concepts. And so like, we want to make this into a poster. And so what they would do is they would have to submit a copy of their concept and a whole form to Warner Brothers mm-hmm. in order for it to get approved as an actual official product. And so they can, wow. so, this, so artwork in here could be used for, you know, you know, puzzles or whatever. Oh you know? yeah. I and could see so, the cover of like the coloring book and stuff. Cause like I, yeah, I recognize that Batman swinging with the cape behind him. That was like at the, on the cover of something that I had, I'm pretty sure. They use the swinging uh, Batman for a lot of stuff early on. And so, mm-hmm. you know, you, there's a lot of stuff I'm trying to avoid the glare here, but you know, just stuff yep. like this, that just cool artwork for coloring books or whatever. And so, the only thing that's missing from this thing also also has backdrops that wow, where you can make cool. like uh, color forms. You know, remember those color forms? Uh, it's like those little characters on like magnet pieces. Oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, my God. What happened to those things? <laughs> Brings us back. Wow. Right? And then we got the style guide for Phantasm. Oh, that's an amazing wow. cover. It's and a silhouetted it goes... Batman I hadn't seen before. And it goes into like you know the artwork. Uh, I'm trying to get the angle here right. Yeah. Oh, but wow. um, this is incredible, some, man. There's some color stuff in here, like so, like uh, this right here, like. Uh, Ooh, yeah. Uh, we got the Jack in the Box Joker there. I think I've seen some version of this. At least I recognize the Jack Jack in the Box Joker. Right, and it's got the color palettes on the down the bottom bottom here, so it tells yeah. them exactly what colors to use because those are the approved colors. Um, but then right, right, right. All these things that go into it that. A lot of the audience does doesn't think about. Ah, uh, yeah, Joker's Joker. great coat. Mm-hmm. There's one with a phantasm in here. I got to show you. It's amazing. This is know. all internal use. I take it. Oh, this is art, all art just department. for art department references, yeah. so they can they can open it up and be like, okay, that's the colors I need to use for you know the cells. Got to keep those rips in the phantasm cape consistent. I love the phantasm look, man. I, I think <laughs> it's a really awesome designed villain. It's great. Yeah. It was great to see the Phantasm again in uh, Batman Beyond. Do you know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. the, the specifically the Justice League Unlimited episode exactly. of it? Or... Exactly. Okay, yeah. Yes. Yes. And, yeah. Um, ben, this is for you, buddy. Oh. Oh, Whoa. okay. The comic style guide. So this looks cool. Uh, we're looking at, what are we looking at? Garcia Lopez stuff? Yes. And Perfect. let me go right to the Batman section, you know? <laughs> oh That's yeah cool. classic classic blue and gray classic see that, Lopez. Yeah. see that bat butt <laughs> but but look at how thick this is guys. yeah all the characters yeah, i saw how thick it, it was <laughs> <laughs> this is this is this is very pg right <laughs> fuck no <laughs> oh, oh that's cool that's so cool. this is, yeah. is this a style guide for something? Yeah. Oh, wow. The 1990s is... Swamp Thing. Yep. For the 90s oh. cartoon, that looks a little bit complicated for what we actually got. No, trust me. I, I wish it. I wish it was given a chance to go into you know more than five episodes. Um, I watched dive... it when it was on. I remember. I remember Arcane really weirded me out. When I was a yeah. Kid. Well, he was you know he was a like half mutant you know in that in that show. So it's like you know. It's just, it's one of those things I wish that we got, uh, it had a chance to evolve, you know? But yeah. um, 
Another cool thing from my collection for Batman is, um, so this looks like a normal figure, right? From Kenner. Yeah. 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 But we're looking actually, at the attack Batman. Air, Air attack, attack Batman. Batman. This is actually a, an approval sample. Wow, oh. dude. This is, uh, so for the audience that doesn't know what is an approval sample is this is basically what they created as a sample so, for what was going to go to the audience. Exactly. The so, so just like I described how the style guys are for the uh, references for the artists and also for the vendors to create product um, for the fans, uh, the toy industry has goes through a total like a evolution of prototypes and everything needs to get approved before it can move on to the next stage. Mm-hmm. So there is called a deco or yeah, deco sample where aesthetically, visually, it needs to get approved. And that's essentially what this is. That it's, it's a final look approval. And it needs to get that's signed. Cool. It needs to get signed. And, and sometimes they'll have notes at the bottom saying, this is mm-hmm. good, but this needs to change before we can move forward. Like we love the logo, but it needs to be black and white instead of colored or something. Sure. And so it would just go through that whole process. Um, one cool thing that has to come with um, as a normal collector, how cool would it be to 30 years later still have a mint figure sealed, right? Sure. Obviously, yeah. there's obviously there's sealed figures still on eBay, but I'm talking about never saw a store. Right. And we mm-hmm. and we call those case fresh uh, figures. Wow. So what that means is, is that there was such an overstock that the stores never got that package. And because they never got it, it went into an overstock warehouse. Which down the line, someone would have bought out, you know, almost like how you, you see like those auctions for uh, storage units. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like a blind buy kind of thing, like whatever's inside you bid on and then you, you empty it out and then you part it out, you know, here and there for profit. Same thing with a warehouse that's been sitting on product for so long. They just sell it off to dealers or whoever that has the money. And then they will be the ones that distributes it later on. So I know a lot of people that are dealers for toys. They're sitting on truckloads of still sealed toys from the eighties and nineties. Wow. Where are they located? <laughs> <laughs> Specific addresses, please. Yeah. <laughs> so what I'm getting at is that I know a guy who, you know, I bought a lot of Beal juice and whatever toys, you know, the cheaper, you know, stuff from him that is all case fresh. What they do is they're, they're the first persons to open up the tape and then Incredible. reach in, reach in and then pull out a case fresh toy. That's 30 years old, but it's yeah. mint. Mm-hmm. And so through my contacts, I was able to purchase a Batman oh, wow. animated series, and this is mint. Jeez, in a, awesome. It's in a uh, Zolo case. And there's a guy called uh, Mike Zolo who creates this uh, ZoloWorld.com, and he creates these uh, specific uh, plastic cases, protective cases for different size toys. Mm-hmm. And so this clamshell is designed for the Batman animated series. And this thing is just mint. It looks beautiful. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. it looks crystal perfect. clear. I'm, I'm trying to avoid the glare here, guys. I apologize, but no worries. Yeah, uh, the combat is... belt Batman. It's 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 the BTAS Batman as a toy. But as you said, mint, beautiful. 
the corners. There's no creases. This thing never saw. <laughs> it never saw a shelf hook. And so this stuff is like the people would. What happens is a lot of collectors. Um, they will take this and send it out to get graded. You know. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of like comic books. You get graded with a certain value at the top, saying it's a, it's a it's a ten or it's a nine point eight. It's the same thing for figures. And you can you know ask them to put it in a case that you can open or completely seal it you know permanently mm-hmm. but um but yeah it's it's one of those like really cool things now we're talking about prototypes earlier with a signed sample the final thing i want to show you guys when i was talking about the evolution about how a toy has to go through certain steps well the very very beginning of a toy is the sculpt sure okay and we're not talking about clay we're talking about wax Mm-hmm. And you know how in electronics you use a soldering iron to melt the solder to make a metal contact for you know connect to wires. Well, mm-hmm. it's essentially the same thing. They're using a hot needle to melt the wax with different little tips at the end and to sculpt the wax. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that is what essentially becomes the foundation of the master of what the toy will be a figure they'll sculpt the whole figure and then break it into limbs and then sculpt the joints essentially mm-hmm. so what i have here is and if there's anyone who's watching because i still honestly i can't identify what this item is which means it could be unproduced okay oh. which makes the mystery even further you know deeper but uh, for those who are in the toy industry know who jordan hembro is the toy hunter and I he's one of my contacts where he basically bought out a Kenner employee's stash and then parted it out. And he reached out to me with this piece and I snagged it. And this honestly is the most expensive thing in my collection as far as what I paid for it, not what it's worth, but what I paid for it. I was going to ask that as like a final question, actually. (laughs) I mean, this was one of those, this is like a right place, right time where I had the funds and it was like one of those things where you just, you just do it, you know? Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and this thing is just so beautiful. I'm, I'm, I'm actually, I'm scared to touch it, but I will show you guys. This is a Michael Keaton Batman sculpt. Oh. And I have no idea if this is like a master sculpt as like a reference or if it was going to be used for like a, a bigger doll. Okay. Hmm. All right. Now, let's take a look. These are the boots. And you can clearly see these uh, are like the. Yeah. The, the Nike Batman, style. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I'm, let me see if I can dim the lights a little bit because I'm, I'm getting a really bad glare. No okay. worries. Oh, oh nice. That's, that's cool, man. Cool. Yeah. So this is the cowl, everything from like the neck up of the Keaton Batman. In so wax. you can see how it was like on a post, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and then they would sculpt it. But look Jeez. at the detail. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, because it doesn't, obviously it doesn't look like the, the faces of the, of the Kenner versions. Uh, if you shrink this down, it does resemble a little bit, but obviously the neck is different because it, it, yeah. the, head, the head turns. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure what this is. If it's just like a master reference, they look at this and be like, okay, that's what we're going to copy this. Or what they're going to do is they're going to, it's called, this is, this also might be what they call a two up. 
it's double the size of what would eventually become. Right. Sure. But this is bigger than a two up because if this was half the size of this, it's still bigger than what an action figure was. <laughs> that so, is true. Yeah. That is true. Wow. But just look at it. This is hand sculpted wax. This, I mean, it could have been like a first draft a sculpture to kind of wrap their head around it before they went smaller. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, it's possible, you know, like a first go around for the sculptor. A really good first go around, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Like just trying to wrap your head around it before you go on to the, something more final. Yeah, because I, I know another uh, collector that has, you know, the the small sized head sculpt. Yeah. But for the detail, they would do bigger and then whatever the process is, I don't know if they I don't know if they I don't know what if they do if they uh make a mold of this and then there's a process that shrinks it. If that makes any sense? Hmm. There's a process yeah. where you can yeah. shrink yeah. The, the the material will shrink, but it retains mm -hmm. the detail. Mm -hmm. So right, sure, right, yeah, right. Well, but anyways, you know, it's, collection it's, it's now just... <laughs> nowadays you just scan it with the mm -hmm. three with the with the three D scanner right. thing and then shrink in three D print or something. Right. Well, actually, yeah. even even the there's a company called there's a sculpting company called the Four Horsemen that did Masters of the Universe and they still do hand sculpts first. Oh, that's nice. For a lot of stuff. That's cool. Wow. But I think that's just to get the, the 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 base model, and then what they'll do is, like you said, they'll scan it, and yeah, then touch it up, you know. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's cool. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah, there's a lot of you. there's a lot of great uh, exclusive stuff in there. Absolutely, but yeah, it's just so. it, it, there's just so much in my collection that I can only show so much for this. Uh, you know, there's only so much time we have. I have to oh yeah, realize. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I'm sure. I mean, style oh, effort, Superman. Of Superman. Oh, so, that's mm -hmm. cool. I have people that come to my house that follow me on Instagram and they come to the house and they would take laps around like the museum <laughs> essentially. <laughs> and they would keep finding new things each lap mm -hmm. and they never get to the paper items, the book. So much to see. Yeah. So there's still so much to see. So it's impossible to do it in one sitting, but um, yeah, it's, uh, but I'm happy to share with, you know, what little I can at this point. So that's just of really course. cool stuff. Well, we appreciate you sharing. That's awesome. Yeah, that's uh, awesome. And uh, yeah, we'll uh, let let us know in the comments if you happen to know what that uh, sculpt was for, as we saw there, because who knows who could be watching. We've had a whole bunch of people uh, sort of surprise comments from people who were like involved in some of the things that we've been talking about uh, on that. So maybe somebody in the audience knows what that what that was for in terms of what Rob's showing right now. So that's pretty awesome. Yeah, it even has little indentions in the nose. I don't know if you can see that, but uh, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, mm -hmm. but yeah, it's Keaton for sure. No, that's Keaton. so. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, uh, with that, it's time for us to dive into the fear. So, here we go. We have pretty much an outline of what was going to be the pilot episode called "The Fear," but then turned into an episode of Galactic Guardians: The Superpowers Team. So, this outline is dated February 1985. The actual episode debuted in September of 1985. And if you have HBO Max, you can check that out. It is under Super Friends Season 10, Episode 6. It is sort of the last iteration of Super Friends. It's not formally called Super Friends, but it's the last iteration of that show from around 1985. And uh, as I've said before, it's the only episode of the show that I've watched. <laughs> and mm -hmm. Same here. Seems like, Same here. Yeah. <laughs> you have the collection. Me, you haven't uh, seen the episode. Me too. <laughs> 
I mean, so. I, I, I mean, like you said, it's a superpowers friends. I mean, we know if you've seen yeah. one episode, you've seen them all essentially. But I, I, now I'm actually curious if this later rendition, if it was a little bit darker, you know, along with the Batman episode. So sure, I, I think there is a Death of Superman episode. It's also the first time where it was Cyborg going up against Darkseid, because uh, oh, wow. you know, Cyborg is very much about you know Teen Titans during the '80s when he's created, but. For whatever reason, now they're just like, yeah, let's make him part of the Justice League. And obviously that's very foreshadowing of the new 52, very foreshadowing of, you know, the Zack Snyder Justice League. So it, it kind of sort of starts with Ernie Hudson's uh, cyborg with uh, the superpowers team. Forgive my lack of knowledge, but who's the guy that like does a cyclone wind power deal? I don't even know who that guy uh, was. It's a samurai guy, right? The, I um, think so. I think it's it's a samurai. Name, yeah, he's a samurai. Yeah, <laughs> he did look Asian to me as well, but yeah, okay. So I don't, I don't feel bad. You guys don't know either. All right, uh, I'm looking up. Yeah, he's samurai. You would That's think that he would have like sword powers or something if he's yeah. called samurai. He has yeah. like red tornado, but he's all human. You know. Yeah, I actually have the figure, uh, the Kenner superpowers figure, and samurai. Mm -hmm. Like I think, I think like his torso spins, and like you said, he's creates like a whirlwind kind of power. yeah yeah but yeah he definitely is the one where you watch and you're just like wait who who's that because <laughs> yeah. like, you know guy? the rest of the justice league but then you get to the yeah. end you're like uh <laughs> what so anyway yeah. obviously samurai was not part of the original outline that we were looking at because this is for this is for <laughs> a batman show it was not part of a justice league super friends type of thing <laughs> yeah. and what's cool about this iteration is we've stated before it is the first adaptation of the Batman origin outside of the comics. So it's the first, you know, people complain about, we've seen the Wayne murders over and over and over again. This was the very first version where it happened. Uh, and on top of that, it is narrated by Adam West himself as the voice of Batman in this, where he is voicing a Batman in a very different world from Batman 66. He was, you know, he was always kind of the straight man anyway in the 66 universe but here it's just like oh this is adam west batman going through reliving the trauma of his parents deaths that's not really something we associate with the adam west interpretation of batman but it is pretty cool to hear him as you know as a batman he was already sort of a serious batman in a ridiculous world in 66 but now he's a serious batman dealing in a serious story and uh he's great He's great in this, you know, for people who might expect it to be just him putting it on like very campy. He actually it almost feels like he underplays it compared to how you would expect personally mm -hmm. for me when I was uh, when I was watching this. So that's also really cool. Uh, so obviously the Justice League Super Friends, not part of the original outline. So there's no scene in the Hall of Justice and Wonder Woman who plays a part in the final episode. She is not part of this. Um, so going through it. What's interesting is this opening, they're just like, this is this is not 66 Batman. We're opening in like warehouse, evil criminals divvying up their cut of a bank robbery. And then Bruce is there sort of in disguise as one of the criminals and says he rips open his shirt. Not like that other type of superhero, but like he's, he reveals the bat <laughs> insignia on his chest. And it says that he cracks a dirty, hairy grin before fighting off the goons as Batman. I thought that was interesting. Huh. Uh, and then... Basically, that's sort of the introduction for it before or they start scoping out the city. And there's a part here where it says, um, first off, Batman's with Robin in here. But unlike the pitch Bible, it's specified that it's Dick. It's not Jason. So I'm wondering if it was a case where it was either a case where Alan Burnett was just like, yeah, you know what? 
let's just have it be Dick Grayson anyway. Or he wanted to do some sort of evolution thing where it's Dick first and then Jason Todd comes in. But I think it's probably more likely the former than the latter. But who knows? I don't know. Uh, but there's a part here where Robin is almost afraid of the breeze knocking him off the girder, which I would understand if this is Tim Drake, but we're talking about Dick Grayson, acrobat extraordinaire. I don't, I think he would be able to handle that a lot better, especially the wind when it comes to that height, but oh, well, mm-hmm. uh, it didn't make it into the final episode, but Batman does notice a farm truck filled with hay outside of the apex electronics building, a possible Easter egg to apex chemical, which is in detective comics. Number 27, the very first Batman story. Uh, that's Mm -hmm. Easter egg does not carry over into the final episode, but what does carry over is Batman noticing there's this weird hay truck in the middle of Gotham city. I wonder (laughs) that could possibly be scarecrow. So it seems like such a like slow (laughs) night in Gotham. He's like, Oh, a hay truck. Let's go check it out. Something's off about this. Yeah. So it's scarecrow. Nothing else of his straw men. And uh, there wasn't a fear gas in this version. They had to change it to like a fear transmitter thing where he pulls out a skull, but it like lets off the waves that creates the the fear hallucinations as opposed to the gas likely due to uh, sensors at the time. So uh, we have him making the guards hallucinate. And in both the outline and the episode, he uses that transmitter to induce the fear of heights into uh, into Robin. But Batman sees through it, swoops down on Scarecrow anyway, knocks the transmitter out and we're in a big chase. Uh, the episode doesn't have it, but in the outline, it has it that uh, Scarecrow goes into a truck and he takes off and Batman jumps onto the truck and we sort of have more of a chase there. Also specifies that Batman has a, quote, black gloved hand grabbing him. So I'm curious if we would have gone for a sort of black and gray costume as opposed to the blue and gray classic that we got with this. But again, things change, you know, like he's just writing this pilot outline, hasn't written the script yet. Uh, for this so if this were to be made we might have gotten a similar version of what we got here of these designs or we could have gotten something else robin's legs in this picture is definitely blinding though when it comes to the skin <laughs> so they might have exactly. tried to fix that uh scarecrow does run into an alley and like in the final episode he ends up tripping losing his fear transmitter and but batman even without the fear transmitter effects finds himself terrified of the alley as he recognizes it scarecrow makes his escape Robin finds Batman in the rain where the rain mixes it and makes it look like he's crying. And thus meme history is made based off of the shot that is used right. in a lot of different things. So uh, that's another important part of history, I guess, for the, from this episode, the not the main one that I'm concerned with or that we're interested in. But uh, basically, Scarecrow knows that there's something about this alley that makes Batman afraid and he's going to take advantage of that. Uh, in the final episode, we would then go to a party at Wayne Manor here instead it's it's vicky vale hanging out and taking pictures of bruce for a magazine and uh, there's basically reports that a professor jonathan crane is conveniently going to consult on the scarecrow case because like in the final episode we don't know or we're not supposed to know that crane and scarecrow are the same guy dick asks alfred about what happened in this alley alfred knows he drops a teacup but dick wonders what's going on and alfred says that bruce is the one to share it to him now I thought this was weird in the final episode because I'm just like, Dick, you don't know Bruce's origin at this point in your career, but maybe we can give some leeway in the pilot version because it might have just been like an early version, like early days still for Dick in the Robin outfit. So who knows? But we do get a recollection of the origin. So in this, the Waynes, like in the final episode, went to see a movie with Robin Hood. 
people might be wondering why was it not Zoro? Because that's the common thing. But it wasn't established until 1986's The Dark Knight Returns that The Mark of Zorro was the movie that the Wayne saw. So Burnett is kind of using his own leeway here when it was a time where it was just like the Waynes were shot when coming back from a movie. It was never really specified what movie until Dark Knight Returns came out and people were just like, all right, it's going to be the mask. I mean, the Mark of Zorro from now on. So we covered that a couple of weeks ago when we released the Patreon episode out of the vault on the Wayne murders. But there was a storm, so the Waynes decided to cut through the alley at Park Row. But Joe Chill shows up waiting and shoots down the Waynes, which, of course, they covered up in the final episode through lightning, thunder and lightning and stuff, because mm-hmm. you just couldn't show him just flat out gunning down the Waynes on the, uh, you know, on the TV screen on the Saturday morning cartoon. So similar stuff that we, what we saw, but it's again, it's for the very first time we see Batman's origin. This is really well done, both in the outline and in the final episode. Like you get all the basics there, the death of the Waynes. Uh, you get the funeral where Alfred is raising Bruce again, like kind of this a newer idea at the time since the original Alfred was introduced uh, at a time where Bruce and Dick Grayson were already Batman and Robin. And so around the development of the new Batman movie at that time, as well as new continuity. And in this one, it's decided, you know what? Alfred was always there. He was there since Bruce was a boy. Uh, Bruce makes his vow to fight criminals goes through his training montage because we're going to need a montage on this. And then he sees a bat. <laughs> That's my favorite part of this episode. Window. <laughs> Whenever he kicks through the through the uh, wood, yeah. it then goes to uh, Alfred and he goes, my word. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Amazing reaction. Yeah, because it, it has that zoom in close up. On yes. Alfred. My, my word. word. <laughs> uh, it's the best part. Amazing. And then, of course, we see the bat flying through the window. One of the rare times that we've seen it in an adaptation. And uh, unfortunately, he doesn't say, I shall I shall become a bat in this. But he does become Batman, quote, the man with no fear, except for one, which is the alley where his parents were killed. They do so, say cowardly lot, too, right? In this episode? I think they did. Uh, he might have. They didn't say the full, full thing, but they definitely said cowardly lot in one line. I'm pretty yeah, sure. Yeah, he, he might have before the bat flies in. Somebody yeah. in the comment section is going to definitely chime in on that one. Help us out. Help us out, but we're pretty sure we're pretty sure he said that. Yeah. So Bat flies in, decides to become the man with no fear, and he decides, you know what? I'm gonna go and face my fear. I'm gonna go to Crime Alley and bring Robin with me. Pretty much the same stuff happens in in the actual episode, except Wonder Woman comes along because they're just like, Well, this is a superpowers team episode, so we gotta bring in somebody who's not Batman related and bring right. in Samurai Guy at the very end. <laughs> so at the end gotta fly uh, him out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> cause a cyclone or something. But Scarecrow and Strawman committing a ju- uh, commit a jewelry store robbery to sort of entice Batman to come out, but it's really bait for Scarecrow to draw him back into that alley again. Batman tries to face his fear, but Scarecrow also captures Robin in a net. Tries to capture Batman too, but the police get close and they take off. And uh, basically, they have one man who's been captured and Batman interrogates him in Gordon's office, which one is one of the rare times where we get to hear Adam West be an angry Batman interrogate somebody. And again, he pulls it off. Uh, and during this time, Professor Jonathan Crane conveniently shows up and says, basically, hey, Scarecrow's hypnotized these men into reliving their fears. If they turn on him, Batman will have to find some other way. So what then happens afterwards, I just noticed actually looking at this, that Batman does, is not covering his nose, which is clearly uh, a mistake in this. It's just or is co- it was yeah. the reflection? 
It's the reflection, maybe. I think it's coloring. Yeah, it's they, coloring. They, yeah, they, they screwed up. They screwed up. <laughs> yeah. It, it's common. It's actually more common than you think. You don't notice it until you, uh, you know, watch it again or, or freeze it somewhere. But yeah. You see it a yeah. lot with the, the symbol because sometimes they invert it where it's the it's a yellow bat on, on a black circle. Sometimes yeah. it even happens in, in the animated series, the 90s Batman animated series. Well, Oh, I'm watching uh, X-Men animated series right now. My first rewatch since since I was a kid. And I'm saying so much of that. Fucking Professor X's tie changes colors from shot to shot. <laughs> it's the same superpower. Scene. Yeah. And then like uh, the Wolverine's mask, the black parts turn yellow for a frame or two. It's just, you know, there's a lot of that stuff. Yeah. Keep in mind, um, a lot of this stuff was like outsourced to yeah. uh, China and Japan and, and um, Korea probably. Yeah, and and what happened was, uh, you know, they're, they're on a deadline. The, the Kevin Altieri told me about the process, and it's there's there's like a tight turnaround. Like they they would they would uh, send out the drawings for the cells, and there's actually a machine that takes the pencil outline. Mm -hmm. They scan it, they feed it through, and the machine spits out a clear cell with a black outline. Okay. And what they do is they flip it over and they have the color codes. Okay. Oh. And they're hmm. painting it. You know, they have to paint every cell one by one. And eventually you're just going to, you know, screw up because you have to also paint things in a certain order. Like the, with, uh, with Batman here, the, the black on his mask. Yeah. So first, first the white of his eyes go in, then the black on top and then the blue on top. It's just, oh, there's a whole, yeah. there's a See whole, that step by step otherwise you won't because you, if you paint the uh the blue or black first you can't get the whites of his eyes in there so uh, it's a, there's sense. a whole thing there's a whole process to it but then they would then put it on uh the cells have a bunch of punch holes they put it down so that everything lines up on the background and literally there's a camera hovering above the desk and so they put they paint the cell they put it down over the background and they go you know, mm -hmm. and so depending on the speed of the scene too, based on my restoration process, I, I noticed that for a normal speed, it's two clicks for every cell. If it's if they're running, then it's one click. Mm -hmm. But um, the pacing. But then they would send the film back to the states, where they would then put audio to it. And so they would get. Mm -hmm. Kevin told me for Ghostbusters, they would get the film back from Japan on a Monday. And they would have to do all the editing for commercials and put the music and voiceover, sync it up, and it aired that Saturday. Wow. Like it was boom. That's crazy. <laughs> boom. That's crazy. Boom. So you mm -hmm. can imagine the with, with all that that stress and deadlines, you know, something like this is very easy to happen, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's just really, but I'm bringing this up because it's really cool to hear about how all this comes together, you know, like this with, with the style mm -hmm. guides. And, yeah. And so that's just, you know, I think that's really cool for your listeners is just like, oh, that's how they did it kind of thing. Or, or mm -hmm. that's why they screwed up. <laughs> or that's, yeah. why they, that's why they don't care because they're, they're so stressed out. They're like, okay, right. I'm done. Throw it away. Mm -hmm. so, right. But anyways, yeah, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> No worries. So this That's is cool. this is now a for this one shot, Bruce Wayne is able to blow his nose without, without <laughs> having to go through the mask or something. So uh, Batman goes to a seedy billiard hall and demands information on Scarecrow where he's keeping Robin. And uh, again, 
this is Batman going through the front door of the bar. That does not bother me in the Batman 2022 movie because the Batman of several eras did this at the time. The whole stealth element of Batman kind of comes a little later in history, but it would have happened in this original pilot outline. Uh, Vicki Vale does her photo shoot of Crane, and I guess Crane did not shampoo or something because she notices a piece of straw in his hair, and she puts it together that he's the scarecrow, and so naturally he has to kidnap her, which... A similar thing happens to Wonder Woman in the show, except in different circumstances than yeah. what's in his hair. Uh, at Wayne Enterprises at sunset, Bruce has a small scene with Lucius Fox or Luscious Fox, as he's called in this. But it's it's kind of a cool just to see or imagine Lucius Fox in an animated series in the 80s at this point. But it's basically I feel like in there just to establish, yeah, we have this character in here, too. Uh, where he's kind of worried about Bruce based off the fact that he kind of looks like he's seen better days uh, when walking around the offices of Wayne Enterprises. Meanwhile, at uh, the GCPD headquarters, like in the final episode, a crow shows up with a note in Gordon's office uh, while Professor Crane is there, and Batman reads it and takes off. Scarecrow is holding Robin and Vicky hostage in the final episode. It's Robin and Wonder Woman. Vicky Vale was basically replaced by Wonder Woman in this episode. And mm. they're trussed up like scarecrows when Batman arrives. And that's when the big fear transmitter shows up and Batman has to hallucinate his parents. Again, Robin being replaced by his father, Vicky replaced by his mother. And Scarecrow is prepared to kill both Robin and Vicky with this, you know, the, the thresher thing of all this, you know, the... I guess that's the, that's what it's called, a thresher. But uh, he's, he's driving it where it's got all the blades in the front as it rolls. And uh, basically, when Batman sees Joe Chill in place of uh, the transmitter scarecrow, he makes a lunge for it and causes the fear transmitter to crack, which makes him no longer under the influence, able to save Robin and Vicky from by stopping the thresher and unmasking scarecrow as Crane once and for all. And it looks like that uh, that crow likes to cuddle with, with Crane right there based <laughs> on how close he's getting to the, his face. But uh, it ends with Batman and Robin overlooking Crime Alley, where... You know, it's like, how did you know that Crane was the Scarecrow? And just like in the final episode, he reveals that when the crow was in Gordon's office, the crow never took its eyes off of Crane the entire time, indicating that Crane was in control of the crow. So they take off together and we get one last look at Crime Alley. And that's the end of the pilot episode, which became this uh, Superpowers team episode instead. Uh, pretty true to it, though. You know, like we didn't really lose anything at all. If, if it was basically just switching out Vicky Vale and Wonder Woman. That's pretty much it. Stayed pretty true to what they had, actually. So that's pretty cool, I felt, on this. Now, what is your speculation, Rob, after having read all this in terms of, like, why was this not made? How did it become a, a Galactic Guardian Superpowers Team episode? I mean, there are so many things that go into these things. I, I Between, it's not just Alan Burnett that had the say in things, you know? Of course, Han yeah. Hanna-Barbera the producers, marketing. Marketing has a huge influence over what is a go or no-go um, because of merchandising and also maybe because this ended up being the last season you know, for the Super sure. Friends, essentially. Mm -hmm. So I think they were just trying to play it safe because I think they realized they're not going to have a spinoff. So, mm -hmm. so we're trying to make this more in the Super Friends universe. So that's why we didn't get, you know, Vicky Vale, you know, in there. Mm -hmm. And, and um, you know, Robin is still uh, Dick Grayson. Um, I think they just play it safe, to be honest. I think sure. someone someone was like, you know what, this is cool, but 
it's not the direction we want to go in at this time. Also, it might be someone probably did say it was probably too dark, you know, for what the realm it was in, because mm-hmm. it still is essentially they're still using, um, you know, the Super Friends versions um, of Batman. But um, I think that was always going to be the case. I think fear was always going to be, you know, they're going to use Super Friends as an excuse to use, you know, to spin off of it, you know. Mm-hmm. So I did find some stuff from Alan Burnett about this as well, confirming kind of what you said about how like it was too dark for them, which I can see because again, this is pre even the Dark Knight Returns, but definitely pre eighty nine. It's just like oh no, like we want, especially with Adam West as the voice of our current Batman. Yep. Still, yep. This is not where we want to go. We'll still let you do this one episode though of him crying over his dead parents in an alley. We'll still let you do that, but in terms of a full series, uh, not so much. So that's. Because I, I, I wanted to see if if he was going to confirm that, but I have the same speculation that audience audiences were not prepared at the time, considering that you know Michael Uslan himself, it took him ten years to get that off the ground, or even just half of that amount of time, just to get a director and a script off the ground for a dark and serious Batman movie. People just didn't want to do it, or they're just like, "Oh, sure, we'll do it, but you got to do the Adam West version." And he said, "No." So that's it was a time where it was just not, they didn't want to take that. It was too risky. They even felt Batman 89 was a risk, which is ridiculous to think about now. But back then it absolutely was. Uh, well, the only other, th- go ahead. No, I was just going to jump off of what you're saying because they thought Michael Keaton was a terrible casting choice mm-hmm. because he was, you know, Beetlejuice. He was the, the comedic, you know, relief. Mm-hmm. So they could not see him as a serious, you know, dynamic duo kind of character like you know like how can he pull off you know that, that kind of persona mm-hmm. and so there i've read articles of newspapers where they were like you know just like baffled that this was the choice but um in hindsight you know and uh you know in foresight though he, he's like he was awesome you know yeah kind of like with heath ledger though you know at first i you know i was skeptical of heath ledger being a joker you know because all i could think about was 10 things i hate about you you know <laughs> right. so but watching dark knight returns uh it just was was an amazing casting choice. So, but yeah, I was just basically just trying to say like, you know, you're absolutely right with the, there's a lot of things that go into like the fear of going down an unsure path, you know, mm-hmm. there's so much money involved. And if it's a dud, then you're, you're really just shooting yourself in the foot and it's, you're never going to make your money back. And also you're hurting yourself for future profits with future projects with this character. So mm-hmm. it's just one of those things. Yeah, yeah, because Batman was not the big like moneymaker powerhouse at the time. This was not an era like it is now where you're just like, all right, you got your animated Batman, your video game Batman, your TV Batman, your film Batman, multiple film Batman. Like that that just wasn't a thing at the time. It's just like, no, this is a one and done. And if you fuck it up, that's it for the character. That's it. Yeah. So uh, one thing I thought was funny, I found a Den of Geek article, Rob, where Alan Burnett says, quote, there was a Bible written and where it is, I don't know. Oh, really? Now we know where it is. So, Alan Burnett, if you're out there. <laughs> wow. To be, to be honest, I've seen another one floating around. There was the, mm-hmm. a, a has, it was a Hasbro employee that had it. And why they had it, I don't know. It could have been from, they were trying to, you know, make toys back in the day over yeah. the character. But because th- that's what they would do. They would just send these things out and just try to see if anything would stick. Mm-hmm. Because if Hasbro would get on board saying, yes, we would make toys for this series. Then Hanna Barbera would be like, "Oh, okay. Then we'll make a cartoon to go with it." Sure. Okay. So, yeah, right. that makes a lot of sense. 
it's all about the marketing. It's all about the connections and, and the, and, you know, it's, you know, one hand shakes the other. It's just, it, without the other, you, that's the other thing too. It's like when a cartoon would get, would get canceled, then immediately the, 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 the toys would get canceled. You know, oh, it's a, yeah. it's a domino effect. Mm-hmm. If the cartoon goes, then the whole reason of it being, the toys being is gone. The, the connection is gone. The same thing with comics. So a lot of things with comics would be like the, the drive for a cartoon or toy. Once the comic goes, everything else goes with it. Right. You know, what just occurred to me, because you've been talking about like one hand helping to feed the other, where it's just like the series, the toys, they have to come in line and stuff. I just it just occurred to me that if this did come through where it was the secret files of the Batman in the 80s and it became as popular as Batman, the animated series, and it's got Jason Todd as Robin, would we even have had death in the family at that point? Because if you had a popular cartoon with and Jason Todd is like the kids Robin for a period of time, not I mean, yeah, it would have been like fourth season in 1988 if it had been a hit like they probably wouldn't have done that back then. I really yeah. don't see them do that. It depends. I mean, you know the comp- comic world more than I would. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, it's 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 hard to think about. You know what the domino effect that would sure, yeah. this series would have had in the industry as far as like, do we really want to go down Death in a Family when we have a Saturday morning cartoon with the same character? You know, sure. yeah, yeah. They might so, not have even have done it, even though. Like we probably still would have had a crisis. We still would have had somewhat of a revamp maybe of his origin. But again, if he's popular enough in the TV show, they would just do what was in the TV show, I think, because one hand's got to feed the other. And so they're probably not going to be like, yeah, we're going to blow up that kid. That's now the Robin in the, in the cartoon show. I don't think that's that's what's going to happen and stuff. Kids are now putting their Jason Todd Robin action figures in the microwave or something. <laughs> after right? that. Like, I just don't, I don't <laughs> think that's, that's not really what I think would have happened. Well, by then. No- not only that, though, but like uh, back in the day, back in those that days, so it's not like today where we have the mul- we have the multiverse to go right, by. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. back then they wanted to they didn't want to confuse kids. They wanted to keep things in sequence, you know, in the same universe and same things uh, in the same events, you know, to yeah. be intertwined. So if they if they did a cartoon series of this, you know, Secret Files of the Batman with Jason Todd. I don't think they would have done a comic version where they blow up <laughs> Jason Todd yeah, exactly. because then they would probably fear they were going to confuse their fan base. Like, is this part yeah. of the same world or not? Or what? And if not, then why are we even bothering? You know? Yeah, so. no, they, they, they wouldn't have. And that could have changed things a lot when it came to the actual, like the mythos. So like, it, as you said, it's curious to see the domino effect. And that's kind of one that just occurred to me as we were talking that like, there's no way that if this, if this hypothetical world was a hit show, they wouldn't have touched it. He would have just yeah. been Robin for a very much longer period of time, which then delays Tim Drake delay. Like there's no under the red hood. Then like there's so much stuff that just happens or doesn't happen. No, so, I, honestly, I think wow. everything happens for a reason. This is, and that's True. one of the reasons yeah. why and it's just that uh, we, the eighties needed to end and the nineties <laughs> <laughs> needed to have a fresh start. I think that's, you see that a lot with a, with a lot of the styles and cartoons and the animations the, mm-hmm. the, the, you know, Every decade, there's the, their own version. You know what I mean? So yeah, the definitely. artists are like revamping and trying new things. So mm-hmm. ninety two was like ninety two kind of evens out with like nineteen ninety. You know, how long would it take for them to start production, approve yeah. looks and flow, and get the castings for all the voice actors? 
So I think 1990 is like right in there with my idea of like, you know, okay, new decade, new Batman. So. Yeah. And it had to, you know, 89 launches this, you know, this new era in pop culture of Batman where you're just like, okay, this is what, this is what it actually is now. This is now what's popular when it comes to this character. It's not Adam West anymore. And now we can actually go through with this. We can go through with this idea of, of presenting that version of the character. And I'm sure Burnett was now just like, okay, finally, at this point, oh, yeah. now I can bring my ideas to life. No, it's like, it was a great opportunity. It's nice that he's able to been to stick with it all these years, you know? Yeah. So it's, yeah, he's been a major, major part of it. And uh, it's, it's great to sort of see the beginnings of this with, uh, with this document. So thank you for sharing that with us and not no, just absolutely. with us, but with the audience. No, absolutely. I mean, I'm a big believer of sharing because I, I know a lot of collectors mm -hmm. that are like, like Lord of the Rings, like Gollum, like the precious, the precious, you know, <laughs> like, and they literally are like closet collectors where they don't share. They, they don't have like an online mm -hmm. profile. They right. don't share what they have. It's all theirs. And I think, it, it, you know, Everyone has their has their reasons and everyone has their own things, way of doing things. But I think stuff like this, it's a shame to keep hidden, if that makes any sense. I mean, mm -hmm. there's a there's a fan base that can appreciate this. And this to share like on a podcast like this is a great opportunity because I mean, other than that, it's sitting on my shelf with all my other archives, you know. <laughs> right. And so mm -hmm. every once in a while it's nice to give it some new life because otherwise, what's the point? So it's, mm -hmm. I appreciate the opportunity to, you know, present it to, uh, you know, an actual Batman fan base. Yeah. And, and also to, to further appreciate Alan Burnett and what he's contributed to bring this character to life in, uh, you know, most of our childhood and beyond, really. Oh. So it's 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 a great it's a great sort of glimpse into that while also a tribute to him as a creator. So uh, it'd be really, it'd be really cool if uh, he actually, someone, he actually reaches out and be like, Hey, can I have a copy of that? <laughs> <laughs> we'll know who to direct him over to. Absolutely. Let's get him on the show. <laughs> By the way, you get it. If you get on the show, Mr. Burnett, yeah. <laughs> we'll black. Exactly. <laughs> but anyway, uh, let's, uh, let's plug some of your stuff here. So you can be found on Instagram. So go yes. ahead. Yes. Bobby underscore eighties, lowercase B. Um, obviously Ghostbusters is a big thing for me, but, um, there's so much that I collect the Batman animated series there's all these 80s toys, you know, you got like, um, Beetlejuice, Terminator 2, uh, Dinosaucers, that's a whole other, that's a whole other podcast. That's, it's uh, Michael Uslan as well. Right? So it's Isn't just Isn't that like, weird? Yeah. I mean, I mean, everyone, everyone worked in the same circles back then, you know, it was a very smaller, you know, world. It just, it really was. And, mm -hmm. and Star Wars, you know, there's a, all these things that are powering. Did Saban do the dinosaurs theme song? I, I, I wouldn't be surprised that they didn't do that. They did everything for Deke. And it was a good, it was a pretty good theme song. It was awesome. Yeah. Right. It was an awesome theme. I like, like to me, it's still the best part of the show. It pretty much um, was. Yeah. Ba, 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 I mean, it was a little. Ba, 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 ba. Yeah. Dinosaurs. <laughs> I love that little intro. I love the intro where he says like that night changed our lives or whatever. Uh, oh yeah. 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 I'm, I'm, it's a shame. Like, and we're getting off topic, but it's a shame that, that stuff, stuff like that doesn't get rebooted, you know? 
like done right you know there was a reboot comic for dinosaurs there like, was what, 2015 but, or something it was terrible right yeah it was like yeah i didn't even bother i didn't even bother i have the yeah. original uh figures there's like only five of them that they were made the characters that were made and it was only in brazil because they canceled the show what still... there were figures for it oh yeah you know oh, that yeah. show and dino riders I, I think people get confused yes. right Yes. Yeah, so that's very similar. There's always, you'll notice in, in, in media, there's always a competition idea. So yeah, like, yeah. So like um, Deep Impact was also Armageddon. Armageddon. Mm -hmm. uh, Volcano, Dante's Peak. You know? Samurai Pizza Cats <laughs> for your Ninja Turtles. Right? Okay. Yeah, exactly. So like, yeah. You got Samurai, you got Ninja Turtles, you got Street Sharks. You got Street Sharks, you got... Uh, Biker mice from Mars. It's just you know whatever. By the time they got the street street sharks and biker mice from Mars, I was kind of out of it. Like, <laughs> like I okay, was guys, cool with Ninja it. Turtles know, for sure. <laughs> Sam our Pizza Cats. I never even saw it, but I I remember seeing the art for it or something. Maybe a, the VHS, but I heard it was huge in, um, you know Latin America. That oh, show. Yeah. Well, a lot of things. Real quick, a lot of things. Uh, whatever starts to die off in the U.S., if there's still a market in Europe or overseas, that's where toys and commercials and or toys and cartoons like continue at like a second They'll life. They'll move to. There's like a ripple effect. It like it'll like it dies off here, but then it'll it'll finally end over there. That's so, cool though. At least they have yeah. the life, you know what I mean? Absolutely. But um but yeah I collect a lot of stuff and, and I and I know a lot of people that um that I've connected with that give me like a lot of backstory. And so that's what the stuff I try to share with you guys tonight. So I appreciate the time. Batman and Ghostbusters make up most of your collection. Oh no, uh, Ninja Turtles and Ghostbusters is like a good chunk. And, okay, um, Batman is in the top five. I will give you. I'll give it that. But <laughs> because I love the okay. new DC collectibles, the they they did the cartoon figures right. You know. Okay. The sculpts and everything and the colors. And yeah. So, um, from a f action figure collector, uh, you know, uh, version, um, I love those new toys. Um, because they just did everything right. Um, oh man! And so Storm, I got a lot of those new ones. Storm Collectibles has this new reptile from Mortal Kombat. Oh wow! Oh oh my god! I want that so bad. I haven't bought that <laughs> yet for myself. But that's like the first toy in a long time I've been like, "Fuck, that's good." <laughs> I can't. I can't go into those those bigger uh, collectibles like they like yeah. spend two hundred dollars on a figure, like a statue thing or whatever. The only one I did buy was a uh, Hot Toys uh, uh, RoboCop. It's, it's okay a, okay it's a, full, it's a full metal figure so yeah that's cool that's cool that sounds like that's worth it though oh it was trust me <laughs> <laughs> worth no every regrets. penny no regrets no regrets <laughs> awesome that's funny man well thanks a lot for coming on man and uh, sharing you. that with us and uh and sharing your collection as well after the break that was awesome thank you guys thank you take care and with that that is superhero stuff you should know All right, big thanks to Dan for gathering the visuals for the YouTube experience. And uh, we have a few fan Woo! comments to go over. So uh, Damn Fool Idealistic Crusader has uh, talked to us about this, saying, I treasure returns, already love Daniel Waters, uh, but this and especially the bit about Rod Lurie, not to mention the terrible Straw Dogs remake, further sealed the deal. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I haven't seen that one myself, but I did laugh when he said that. So that was pretty <laughs> funny. Uh, the irony is I like Hamscript too, and I'm a lifelong Hardy Boys nerd. 
these interviews you guys have been doing are phenomenal for those of us obsessed with the production history of the bat films i don't know of anyone else that has gone as deeply into who wrote what and highlighting the strict material injected into waters's earlier drafts as someone who tries to read as many drafts as possible hearing people go in depth on the story development is so rewarding keep the bat cd scratching so thank you <laughs> nice haven't heard that one before that's a good one yeah you know toy galaxy covered batman returns or something lately and there was a lot of script talk and i wonder they they probably <laughs> referenced i'm just speculation but i was like they probably watched us maybe maybe just you know? send those viewers over toy galaxy jesus christ yeah yeah <laughs> you guys are killing it yeah uh also i like your profile picture damn fool idealistic crusader i recognize that's timothy dalton as james bond in license to kill so very good choice uh nice. nikki 6986 brings up on our kenner episode uh that 1990 joker cycle is recycled from originally the 1988 robocop ultra police line and uh we have images that dan pulled up here and uh looks like you're right all they did was just switch out the front to be a joker head because if you look especially at the seat design it looks pretty close it's exactly the same man yeah this is yeah. a good this is a good find here uh i mean i could tell even when i was a kid i probably wouldn't like this because the wheels are too small especially and the head's one. too big <laughs> yeah i would have liked it just because it's the joker you know and i, I guess like joker mobile type of thing but i would have had the batmobile instead yeah the batmobile was better but yeah. this is cool that, 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 that they found this. This is yeah. I like this. Thanks for the deep cut. Yeah, uh, thank you. Dylan Moore on our Usland interview said the movie Kiss Me Deadly from 1955 also has a bomb in a car triggered by the speedometer. Actually, oh mm. damn! All right, got to recheck that one out. But I'm I'm sure Michael Usland has a big uh, cinema. He's a love for old cinema stuff, so he probably did end up seeing that movie at some point. It might have been inspired mm -hmm. by that. Uh, happens a lot and we have uh, i've been noting of the fact that we had our own historical and cinematic influences episode on the batman we'll likely at some point do continue to do something like that you know the bring out the film school students of us in terms of like the influences of a film noir on batman 89 or silent german expressionism on batman returns and stuff because like it all it all has cinematic influences from other things people kind of rag sometimes on on reeves for that where they're just like oh he took from seven but i was like you got to realize this happens with every single Batman iteration pretty much. Yeah. So uh, we'll be covering that at some point, but thanks. Dylan. I'd like to know for Batman 89. I'm cause Burton's style. <coughs> yeah. It's so prominent, but yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, on to the fan shout outs. Okay. All right. Thanks everybody for those comments. That's awesome. And we want to thank, uh, I'll just thank some of the more recent, uh, people here from the board so let's thank chris r chris m braxton w darren f and billy l thank you for joining uh and thank you for people that have been here you can see them on the board here and our other supporters as well thank you so much everybody and then also please join the shasta army that's our one dollar tier at patreon.com slash superhero stuff pod uh that gets you that there shout out and then uh the five dollar tier gets you a whole other show this is where the rubber meets the road, basically, everybody. This is uh, not the other tier, you know. The other tier is good, but this one's better. That's why it's more expensive. Let's <laughs> put it that way. Uh, this is a whole other show. It's Friday. comes out every Friday. This show's every Monday for free. And we do deeper dives, and we cover news topics uh, and things like that. Um, you know, comic book movie news generally. Uh, 
what's going on with Zaslev, you know, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> right. Uh, things like that. And um, yes. Yeah, so then you join the $10 tier. That's a monthly meetup where we meet up once a month in a kind of like a zoom light call with uh, fans, listeners, and um, we have a topic at hand, but also just kind of shoot the shit a lot of the time as well. And uh, yeah, that's a $10 tier. And of course, just like um, everywhere else on Patreon, if you have the $10 tier, you get the five and one or $1 tier benefits. If you have the $5 tier benefit, you have the $1 tier benefits as well. So uh, check us out there. Patreon.com slash superhero stuff pod. And then we have merch that doesn't sell that much. We're working <laughs> on it. Maybe, maybe by next year, we'll have something a little better. I will, we'll work on it. But anyway, yeah, if you want to buy these, we have had, we've, we've had, we've had some, I don't want to downplay our merch too much, but I think it's funny at this point. Um, <laughs> Superhousepod.redbubble.com is, is, is one where one place where you can get it. And then uh, superhero stuff, pod.threadless.com is another place. Um, get your Ben Man and Deed Wizard and Zacula stuff still on there as well. Uh, and the artwork is by Stefan Santa Cruz. If you're if you're just joining us in the past like few months, this is a co-host that we had, Zach Zachary mm-hmm. Jackson Brown. His website is ja- Zachary Jackson Brown Art.com, I think. Um, this is not his art, but this is a picture of him. Uh, another and former co-host. He's a former, yeah. That's another former co-host, even before Zach. But uh, so anyway, yeah, former co-host. He left because he had a kid. That's what happened. We, he'll come back in 18 years. All right. So, <laughs> so we have people ask on the $10 tier in the meetup, actually, uh, yeah. where Zach was. So um, and full disclosure, guys, probably another 18 years before we yep. get him back on. So yep. there, there we go. I don't think we ever formally addressed it on the show. To be please honest be patient. <laughs> yeah, please be patient. We'll be back in 18 years. So um, uh, please send us audio clips to superhousepodcast at gmail.com. I'm Thunderwolf Drew on Instagram and Twitter. Thunderwolf Lives, my other YouTube page. Thunderwolfdrew.com has my whole portfolio in one spot except for amanorecon.com, which is A-M-A-N-O-R-E-C-O-N.com. And this is, this is the artwork by Zachary Jackson Brown and uh, the poster here. And I want to say I'm, I feel bad for kind of announcing this too soon. It's been like fucking way too long. I'm sorry, everybody. If anybody's really waiting on this, we're going to submit to some festivals here soon. So we have, we have a, like a final cut of our promo video our like pitch video, but we want the we even want to try the pitch video in a few like horror fests real quick. Then we're going to run the campaign um, for the actual like 23 minute pilot episode. So, um, but you can see 17 seconds of it on AminoRecon.com. What it is is R rated Power Rangers meets uh, Stranger Things. That's the best way I can put it. Um, it's going to be an Indiegogo campaign and for to raise funds for the bigger one. So, what we have is four minutes that's going to be released at some point soon after the film fest run, however long that is. And then that four minute thing is sits at the top of the page of Indiegogo. And that's going to be the pitch vid pitch video for the bigger thing to get funds for. So Mm. uh, anyway, kind of long, more drawn out than usual, but there you go, Ben. 
Uh, big thanks to Comic Comic Capital on Instagram, as well as the Everything Entertainment Club on Clubhouse, as well as one of our other fans, Derek O, who actually put us in contact with Rob for this episode. So thank, thank you. you, Derek, for that. Uh, follow us on social media on Twitter, uh, as well as well gaming guy. Oh yeah, forgot about, about that. that one. <laughs> <laughs> this is another podcast, and this has probably come out hopefully sooner than later. Uh, Sorry, Ben. Let's cut you off there real quick. But yeah, I hijacked thank, it myself by sending, sending us over for, to it. Thank you for adding this. So mm -hmm. I'm a lifelong gamer as well, and uh, gaming was my one of my first passions really in life. Still a gamer, and this is like a podcast where we mainly interview Japanese to English translators for video games and what's their life like, what's their job like. What does translation entail with gaming? How has it changed over the years? There's also, I found out during doing this podcast that there's a lot of, uh, what you call it, like people think that some translations are too woke and some people like don't like translations. the translations. And there's like so much drama in this fucking world. I could, <laughs> you fuck? could, you would not <laughs> believe Ben. Mm -hmm. Like I honestly, I, like I said, I'm a lifelong gamer, but I had no idea this was a thing until I, really did this deep dive into it mm -hmm. uh by the way we recorded 10 episodes they're done it's yeah. just a matter of there's some edits i have this is full disclosure again mm -hmm. i have to make some edits to some of the episodes per the requests of the interviewees okay so that's where we are at with that but it's coming it's mostly done mm -hmm. we just got to get a kind of uh, interviewee approval for the for some of the episodes but yeah, it's a, it's a lot about translation, Japanese culture, and things like that, and like some of the apparently some of the drama mm -hmm. surrounding all this stuff, which is kind of fascinating. Uh, real quick, Ben, just want to get this out of the way. Japanese is such a different language than English that sometimes you have to get creative with the translation. It's just fucking impossible. So, but what happens is. It's fucking impossible to have like a direct translation for a lot of it. But what happens is some people will fucking Google translate the Japanese version and be like, hey, why don't you translate it like this? It's like, that's not a good translation, man. Sorry. It's <laughs> yeah. just not. Google translate and is not that accurate. It's not, especially with some, it's good with like maybe Danish to English, but not mm -hmm. from Japanese to English or vice versa. It's mm -hmm. just you. And so, so some people think the translations are too creative. Mm -hmm. Oh, the, 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 anyway, the podcast is not like only that drama. It's mainly about what's it like to be a translator. And then we interviewed just two episodes that are, uh, interviews of people from EGM electronic gaming monthly magazine, a gaming magazine in the nineties that I loved. And anyway, that's it back to Ben. Yes. You can follow us on social media at, uh, on Twitter at superhouse pod. Instagram at superhero stuff pod, TikTok superhero stuff pod, Vero superhero stuff pod. My website is Ben Juan Writer, where you can read Gotham Vampire, where Bruce faces off against the Mad Monk, as well as Elementary: The Death of Sherlock Holmes, a modern update on the adventure of the dying detective from the Sherlock Holmes universe, as well as Curb Your Enthusiasm: Disneyland, the Curb episode they could never make, where Larry goes to Disneyland, might actually be my favorite out of those three, actually. Uh, I, I I still want to read this. I'm sorry I haven't been. You tell me every week. Um, does he say pretty 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 good in it? 
I'll rewrite that in just for you. Oh man, <laughs> I think it, it, it didn't fit the context of anything. Oh no, he, don't force he it. He finds don't... everything pretty, pretty, pretty bad over there in Disney. They don't, they don't say it in every episode of the real show anyway. So yeah. he does do the thing where it's uh, they look at each other and then the music kicks in in terms of figuring out whether or not they're lying. <laughs> it's whenever he's staring down a guy. In this one, should... he's staring down Mickey Mouse, but it's oh, different because Mickey Mouse is like dead eyes because it's just the mask. That's so good. That's good. So anyway, good. check that out. BenWanRider.com. Curb your enthusiasm. Disneyland. Great um, show, man. I love that show. <laughs> I love it too. It's coming back. It survived the the Zaslev acts, which it should because I mean, look, for however long it's been on, it's going to be on until Larry David dies, which hopefully I, will not be anytime soon. If he, but if Zaslev can curb your enthusiasm, I didn't even <laughs> thought about that, Ben. I would. I feel like I would cancel my subscription right immediately. <laughs> Which then cancels my subscription. <laughs> oh, right. That's true. We share an account. We would have to mutually, yeah, we'll mutually agree to do that. <laughs> oh, yeah. I forgot about that. But anyway, yeah, I'm glad he kept Curb in, in yeah, rotation. So, yeah. Uh, my YouTube channel is in the description below where you can check out my project, uh, Doctor Who, the Ronin of Time, the eighth doctor meets Miyamoto Musashi in ancient Japan, uh, an episode that was not lost. Uh, like the Doctor Good. Who episodes that we're talking about that were lost with Rob. Uh, my personal Instagram is Ben Juan Ryder. My cat's Instagram is Alfie Pennyworth Cat. Alfie, poor Alfie, has been in the background and lying on the floor because we have a heat wave over here. Uh, but he'll survive. <laughs> he'll be okay. Uh, but if you have an Alfie yourself, you oh, can get man. the Whisker Box, the only cat box with a crazy cat lady and gent. And yes, we do have a promo link or promo code for this thing. We don't just talk about it. We do have, we do have some <laughs> legit stuff. I still need to uh, check in with them. <laughs> if you don't, maybe we should stop. <laughs> but if you don't have a cat, but you have a dog instead, that's okay too, because you can get the bark box. Get your dog exactly what they want with the bark box. First month off free, valued at $35 with our promo link. You can find the promo link for bark box as well as whisker box at superherostuffpod.com slash shop. You can get all sorts of stuff over there. Whisper for days. Uh, we might need to check in on them too. Uh, I think uh, we don't have the bidets anymore. <laughs> no, never mind. We're not slinging bidets anymore. I need, <laughs> I need to update that part of the page. Uh, full disclosure, everybody. All right. Well, please help uh, us out and whatever is available, uh, please buy. So we got Cyborg Funko. Bar Barkbox definitely. We, yeah. Anyway, yes, we're. <laughs> it's fine. Okay. It's fine. Even uh, if we're not connected to any of them, they like the free publicity. So whatever, that's true. right? Yeah. All right. So superherostuffpod.com slash shop. Whatever is available, please get. Especially the, the biggest one I think that relates to us is the big ass Batman 80th anniversary definitive history of the Dark Knight and film yeah. comic TV. That one by Andrew Farago and Gina McIntyre. A lot of the stuff that we cover in terms of concept art, uh, sometimes that stuff is exclusive in that book and we share it to you, but you can get it for yourself to look and and gleam at home in the comfort of your own home just don't use it on the toilet because it will cut off your circulation on your thighs as andrew has brought that up so it's about like a thousand pages so you get your money's <laughs> worth but yeah and you can also you get know. the boy who loved batman by michael uselin one of our special guests from the past uh, for the past couple of months as well fantastic book takes basically a, a nice look at what it took for him to get batman 89 made especially a very you know a couple chapters just specifically on uh, the pitches and basically trying to get directors on board, going behind the scenes, all that stuff. That's in that book. So check that out. I, you know, I, 
I just thought about this, but I wonder if the Farago book, and this is, I'm not even joking, it's probably literally the biggest Batman book ever made. <laughs> How do you get bigger than that one, man? I'm Yeah, I'm thinking about it. I don't think I've seen anything, because if there was, I'd probably, I'd probably get, are you getting it? I'd probably get it. Oh, there it is, yeah. It is humongous, so that's what it is. So make sure to get that over at superherostuffpod.com slash shop. And I think with that, that is our show. All right, everybody. We want you to do us a favor. We want you to tell all your friends about it.